0: the moment you've
1: all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for
2: Breakfast
3: podcast. It's Friday, September 29th, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast podcast, episode 278. Make sure you're subscribed to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree. They'll take the show's Instagram, our latest substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social.
4: What's up, everybody? We've got an enormous edition, Friday edition of the show today. I'm Ro, Noah's here. Yo. We've got a great slate of guests, a trio of congresspeople will be joining us. Arizona Representative Eli Crane, Indiana Representative Victoria Sparts, and George Santos will be here. and We'll be sitting down with the former chief of staff at Capitol Hill, Jim Paff as well. Lots of breaking news. Donald Trump is in Michigan rocking the House and becoming the jobs candidate again on Wednesday. We'll bring you the highlights, which in stark comparison to the lowlights that we'll provide you with from the second GOP debate and the Joe Biden impeachment inquiry committee kicked off yesterday. We'll check in there as well. But before we get to any of the headlines, let's take it up to Capitol Hill in the center of the political universe change the way you consume your news. Monkey, this is not nom. This is bowling. There are rules.
5: Today, Junior America!
4: Steak.
0: Four! breakfast! So stand by!
4: All right, everybody. Welcome to the Steak for Breakfast podcast. I'm Ron Noah's here. Yo! If you're a first-time listener to the show, welcome. If you're a long-time listener, of course, welcome back to America's Fastest-Growing Political Podcast. And getting things started today, we're going to be up on Capitol Hill with one of our favorite congressmen. He's always fighting for the great state of Arizona, fighting for America first as well. Mr. Eli Crane, thanks for joining us on the show.
6: Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it.
4: Congressman, we know you're busy. We got you on the phone today, not our usual Skype visit because it's pretty hectic up there. You want to give our listenership the latest to get things started on the budget battle that's going on right now?
6: Yeah, well, it's pretty simple, guys. Um, you know, you got to go back to the uh, speaker fight back in January. Um, there were 20 of us that stood against uh, the heir apparent, uh, Kevin McCarthy. Um, 14 out of the 20 ended up striking a deal with the soon-to-be Speaker McCarthy. And uh, you don't have to take my word for it. Those, uh, the concessions in that deal were well reported at the time. Um, and one of the things that was reported and part of the deal was that uh, Kevin McCarthy agreed that we would pass the 12 appropriations b- bills and not just pass the 12 appropriations bills, um, but also pass them at a level agreed upon the 1471 uh, level for uh, non-defense uh, discretionary spending. And so basically um, over the last, since January, um, this, this uh, house under the current leadership has been slow walking these bills and really not serious about passing them in my own opinion. And this is just my opinion, Ron. Um, the reason for that is because, um, for a couple reasons, one, uh, Republicans, in my opinion, often, you know, want to spend about just about as much money as Democrats, maybe not quite as much. Um, but it also in governing by continuing resolution and omnibus bills, which are 4,000 page bills, which you basically fund the entire government with one up or down vote. um, It it allows them not to take tough votes and show the American people where they actually weigh in on certain things. Whereas if we actually do what we're required to do by law and do the 12 appropriations bills, um, you know, the American people get a C more clearly where each member of Congress stands on certain issues. And on top of it, if you are actually committed to, uh, cutting some of the spending and woke and weaponized, uh, you know, products that come out of this town each and every day, then the appropriations process is definitely the best way to do that. And so here we here we are, um, the day before government funding runs out on September 30th, and uh, we we got through about um, four appropriations bills. We we did this week. Three of them passed, and we did milk on VA um, before we left for break, <clears throat> and so we still have, you know, work to do. But um, House leadership and you know moderates and even some members of the Freedom Caucus brought a uh, continuing resolution um, to the floor today. Um, I won't say it was all bad. I think it had some good things in it, and I understand the spirit of what they were trying to do. Um, but there were several of us that decided to vote against it. And the reason that we voted against it is because we think the best way to govern but without CR or omnibus and to return to regular order is to quit voting for omnibuses and CRs or continuing resolutions. And that's what we did. Um, we're trying to get transformational change into this town. Um, and, and, and so that's what just went down earlier today. Um, I know there's a conference going on later this afternoon, and then we're we're told we're going to have votes tomorrow morning. And, you know, many of us won't be surprised if we see the Senate's uh, CR uh, show up tomorrow morning. So, you know, we're in the thick of it. I can't tell people what's going to happen, Ron, but, uh, you know, I can tell you that some of us are trying really hard to change the way this uh, town works.
4: No, you want to know what? when you, when you We've highlighted all of your guys' great works on the show. We'll continue to do so and host you guys just as, as much as time allots and, and you guys can spend and share a little bit with our listenership. And we can't thank you enough for holding the line up there. I mean, it, I don't want it to sound cliche, but it's literally, you know, the small group of, of House Republicans, a, a few moderates that have come on board and, and seen that the promises made should be promises kept. And this really does fall on the shoulders of leadership. I mean, Kevin McCarthy hasn't done his job. He hasn't owned up to the things that he promised to do. And then you have Chuck Schumer... H.R. 2 passed in the House. Chuck Schumer won't take it up. You've got Joe Biden saying that if any kind of House border security bill goes through, he'd be more than happy to veto it. But, you know, everyone out there from Mitch McConnell, who's saying this is the biggest Republican topic in in the history of our country and Chuck Schumer, of course, is is demanding that we have all that Ukraine funding in, in, in the bills that get passed as part of appropriations.
6: Yeah, I mean, these guys are so full of it, Ron. It's, it's hard to keep track of their BS, man. It's just like when, um, you know, everybody in the country saw what happened in Hawaii and everybody's heart went out to them and everybody wanted to help them out. So wh- what, do we do up here in a Republican controlled Congress? We say, Oh yeah, we'll send, uh, we'll send the Hawaiians money, but, uh, we're going to tie that to, uh, Ukraine money as well. So you, you know, if you want to support the Hawaiians, you got to vote for Ukraine, you know, to have 12 billion more dollars or whatever it was. And it's just disgusting, man. That's how this town works. And the only way it changes is if enough of us get together and say, hey, we're not going to do this anymore. And you can you can spin these stories any way you want. You can make us out to be the boogeyman in the media. That's fine. We're getting, we're not backing down. And we are bent on trying to change this town.
4: No, that's the thing. When you look at the border crisis, Congressman, and how much it's gotten out of control right now, when, when you talk about the disaster that's the humanitarian, the human trafficking, sex trafficking, drug epidemic that's coming across our southern border right now, and just the lack of national security, someone who was uh, you know active-duty serviceman like yourself for so long and, and knows that out of the nearly million gotaways that have come through that border over the course of the last nearly three years, there have had to be some pretty big national security threats that have come through with it. And the fact that no one in Congress wants to work towards getting some comprehensive bill done that's going to secure our border and at least stymie the crisis down there, it just seems to boggle the mind.
6: No, it does. And like you you said, there's at least 1.5 million gotaways people. We don't know who they are. We don't know where they went to. I um, mean, you got to remind yourself that it only took 19 people to pull off 9-11, yeah. right? And they've had at least 241 encounters at the southern border, people that they've apprehended um, that were on the terror watch list. And, you know, it's like if if you guys want to go to see an example of this, go to, you know, uh, Rep. Eli Crane and look at the hearing we just did on the financial cost of Biden, the Biden Mallorca border crisis, and you'll see Democrats talking out of both sides of their mouth saying they want to help us with the border problem but then out of the other side of their mouth they'll be saying you know what you know all touting all the economic benefits that come from you know these illegal immigrants flowing into the country and it's just like deep down i I hate to say it guys but a lot of these democrats do not want to shut the border Uh, i think they believe they're growing their voting voter base you know if they did you know, step 1 would be to finish the wall. They can't even admit that a wall has always been a part of a common sense security system. It's not it, it's not security by itself, but it's a security system that's important to protect American citizens. I'm talking a wall. I'm talking about technology that goes with that wall, sensors, lights. I'm talking about technology like drones, Right? And and some of these camera trucks that we use. I'm talking about trained border patrol agents. I'm talking about, you know, an air an air wing of helicopters and blimps and, you know, aircraft. All of it. That is a border system and that's what true security has always looked like. It's what it will always look like. But we can't even get our counterparts on the other side of the aisle to admit that a wall has always been a part of a security system. And and so it makes a
4: problem. Do you think it's good that some of the biggest uh, influencers out there. Let's just say Elon Musk took a trip down there yesterday. He, he had seemed to be intrigued by the amount of coverage the crisis on the border wasn't getting. But as he saw more and more prominent figures on the Democrat side, especially sanctuary city mayors in places like New York, Chicago, uh, Los Angeles, Washington, D.C., and then Kathy Holcho over the last couple of months really start to say this enough is enough. He was able to go down there yesterday and see things firsthand. Do you think that kind of helps the process and familiarizes the American public of exactly what's going on? down there
6: no 100 that that's a big part of it and unfortunately you you saw this with eric adams bro Uh, he he was out there years ago touting the fact that you know he he represented and led in a sanctuary city and what's he saying now he's completely changed his tune because like arizonans in texas now he's feeling the pain of his poor choices and, and that's what it takes, but it also takes individuals like your Elon Musk type that have huge followings to go down there, bring exposure to it. Because the sad fact of the matter is for a lot of these people that just go home every day and turn on their CNBC or CNN who aren't covering this issue to try and give cover, cover to the Biden administration, which they helped install. Uh, they don't know about this crisis. They're not seeing it every day. And for many of these people, it hasn't started affecting lives yet. But if we keep just like you saw in New York and Eric Adams changing his tune. Once you feel the pain of, you know, having this many individuals come into the United States and many of them, we don't know who they are. We don't know where they went. We don't know what their intentions are. I hate to say it Ron, but I'm very concerned about what the aftermath and the fallout of this completely foolish and America last administration, you know, is going to bring to us.
4: Yeah, I mean, if we can't get uh, to the drawing board and get something passed that's going to lock down the border, at least in some context right now, I can only imagine what the next year and a half is going to look like. Congressman, last thing I want to touch with you on, we saw yesterday Jamie Comer, Jason Smith, and Jim Jordan kicked off the Joe Biden impeachment inquiry committee. Uh, A lot of opening statements, of course, a lot of grandstanding from the radical progressive left members that were on there. Jamie Raskin didn't do anything to rein in, uh, you know, members of his own party. But there was a lot of things being explained, and, and basically at the end of the day, they're saying that there has to be an investigation to find out whether or not Joe Biden himself participated in the crimes that were being committed, whether it be tax fraud or, or fair violations, things of that nature, in regards to benefiting himself and his family, by both the senator and as the vice president of the United States. Just from your vantage point, do you think that this is a great part of the process that we're working towards getting some accountability for Joe Biden and his family? Or do you think we're up against the clock here with the 2024 presidential election cycle starting to ramp up? In just a few months now, we're going to be a, a year away from the ballot box. Uh, where do you think this is going to lead? You know, I I
6: don't know where it's going to lead. I'm glad that we're at least doing the investigations. I I wish they were going to, like, I think the entire public, uh, at least on our side, they were going faster. I'm not a part of um, these committees um, that are looking into this stuff. So I'm glad they're getting – I'm glad they are getting glad they they've got their subpoena power i'm I'm glad they're moving forward i'd like to see it go faster like everybody else at the very least I, i know it's exposing you know some more and more each and every day of the you know biden crime family and so you know like many of you um i think we just take it one day at a time and uh keep trying to support individuals that are in the fight keep praying for this country and uh i thank you again for the opportunity to come on and give you guys a quick summary.
4: No, listen, we, we really appreciate the work you're doing. There are very few footers up on Capitol Hill right now, Congressman. You're definitely one of them. We're going to live link your congressional website so everybody can continue to check out the great work that you and your staff is doing up there. But for anyone that's not following you on social media, where can they check you out?
6: Uh, Rep. Eli Crane is a great place. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you.
4: No, appreciate you. This is the congressman who's proudly serving and fighting for America first, representing Arizona Two, Congressman Eli Crane. Thanks for joining us to get things started on this Friday edition of the State for Breakfast podcast.
7: I will then go to every foreign country where we're paying billions and billions of dollars for their military defense, as I was doing before, and tell them that if they do not massively increase their Purchases of Ford Chevys GMs and Jeeps our troops are packing up and we're coming home You got to buy our products got to buy our products. That's going to be the least of them And if we can afford to send hundreds of billions of dollars to Ukraine then we can afford to have an auto industry that Pays our workers a good living wage and keeps our workers working Ladies and gentlemen, I've been preparing my entire life for this battle. We did such a great job. Four years ago, we were unfairly interrupted. Let's be nice about it. We were very unfairly interrupted. But in many ways, this is better because we've seen what a bad job they have shown us, what a horrible job they do. And we'll be able to do things that nobody would have thought possible. And people won't be complaining even a little bit. Because between crime and all of the jobs that have been stolen from us and all of the factories that have been closing, all of the bad things that have been happening with Afghanistan and with Ukraine and with everything, people will say, wow, we want these changes to be made. We want these changes to be be made very, very quickly. Just three years ago.
4: All right, jumping into the news portion of our show now, it's a big Busy Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. I'm Ron Noah's here as well. Yo. So Donald Trump gave a speech this week on Wednesday in Michigan in a Detroit suburb to a group of union and non-union members of the United Auto Workers. Noah, I know you checked out parts of it. I thought it was pretty historic as Donald Trump is again... Reharnessing that all-important jobs candidate narrative, which we know is going to be so important and crucial in places like Michigan and Wisconsin, the blue wall states, and the Rust Belt, that he's going to need to get him over the top to win back the Oval Office next year. It seemed like he was pretty well received, and uh, his popularity continues to grow at a astronomical rate. What do you think?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see how anybody could look back on the economy and employment Besides the you know the COVID period, which was unavoidable, it seems at this point.
4: We'll get to that in our next segment.
3: <laughs> but everybody thinks that Joe Biden claiming to be the best jobs president is an absolute, just maniacal joke.
4: It's Scranton Joe.
3: It's Scranton Joe. Puerto Rican everybody Joe. Everybody's got to have three jobs now, so now there's three times as many jobs. Jewish Joe. Good job.
4: Polish Joe. Polish Joe. Irish Joe. Italian Joe. You name it.
3: <laughs> Smoking Joe.
4: Not anymore. Yeah, we also saw the news that broke overnight. We're not ignoring it. We'll touch on it at different points of the podcast today. Senator Dianne Feinstein, out of California, passed away at the age of ninety. Damn. Just want to uh, pay homage to her long documented resume as a one of the longest sitting senators up on Capitol Hill. She began in nineteen ninety two. Went through, at least to this point of 2023, she definitely did her part in California with one of the biggest money laundering operations ever, the high-speed rail that was started in the late 90s and still isn't finished.
3: Is that the above-ground one or the underground one? Mm.
4: She also had a personal chauffeur for nearly two decades that was confirmed to be a Chinese spy. That's awkward. And even though the only place she's worked for the last 40 years is as a Senator from California, she dies with a net worth of over $90 million in her portfolio. She have family.
3: She's going to leave that too.
4: I'm sure they'll be fine. Mm. So
3: for, I think people that are in uh, Congress or politics or whatever, and they die with that much money, Mm. whatever their biggest things that they're proposing all their money
4: should go towards that. Don't say that, no, because she was also one of the biggest <laughs> gun grabbers in the history of the Republic. Oh,
3: I forgot about that shit
4: disregard. Yeah, so rest in peace, but you shan't be missed. Moving along, Donald Trump in Michigan. Huge deal this week. It was a counterproduction to, oh man, the second GOP debate. We'll unfortunately get to that in a bit. And Donald Trump's message was that of one that resonates with the American working man and women in this country. The ones who are continuing to get disenfranchised by this out of control, job killing government that currently is in power, especially with the rise of electric vehicles. Uh, No one's going to be hurt more than the auto industry whose factories continue to outsource themselves to places like India and Mexico. And where you're not working on the line now you soon won't have a job because everything's going to be manufactured outside of the United States and then sent back here just for the finishing touches.
3: And if you live in California, then people are getting paid 25 bucks an hour to fuck up your order.
4: Mm. It is something right now that Donald Trump really has to continue to drive home, being the jobs president. And we're going to go through some of his best speaking points throughout the course of that event to just reiterate the fact of how important and even historic Uh, This was especially when you talk about a presidential candidate not attending two debates in a row now, something that Donald Trump has done in the past. But, you know, everybody else in the mainstream media will make you think like it's the worst thing ever. We'll we'll debunk that as well by the end of the segment. I also want to mention, no, a great sitting down with Eli Crane. Definitely one of our strongest warriors up on Capitol Hill, now part of the uh, noted chaos caucus. Yeah. Who's just a solid no on everything unless it's America first.
3: We better hang out with him if he ever ends up in San Diego.
4: We cannot tell you how much we appreciate the fact of the job that he's done up there, and we're just getting started with this huge addition to the show today. We're going to have Congresswoman out of Indiana. You you may have saw her absolutely embarrass and battle Attorney General Merrick Garland last week up on Capitol Hill during the House Judiciary Committee hearing Victoria Sparks for the first time at the end of this segment. So buckle up, and uh, let's jump right into it. Donald Trump talked about how great the auto industry flourished under his leadership during the course of his first turn, and he wants to bring that back and make it better than ever before in a second. Let's hear it.
7: So give me four more years and I will give you the end to this horrible globalism that's killing our country. I'll give you the return of the United States of America as the greatest and strongest industrial nation in the history of the world. Together we will dismantle the corrupt power structure that has feasted on the suffering of the American auto worker and That's the it. workers of any kind, not just autoworkers, workers of any kind. We will cast from power the financial forces that have turned American cities into ghost towns to build skyscrapers in Beijing, China. Oof. We will wield every lever of government to defend you and to hold accountable those who have profited from the betrayal and suffering of the American factory workers. So sad to see as your 47th president of the United States, I will be your protector. I will be your advocate and I will be your greatest champion, the greatest champion that you've ever had.
4: I don't hear anything wrong with that. Nilla. No, I like it. And, And you know, when you talk about some of the work Donald Trump did, taxes and tariffs on everything not being made in the United States, incentives for companies to move their factories back to the United States, an economy that was so robust that wages soared under President Trump, and people just lived better lives.
3: Uh, how does anybody think that's not a good thing? Like, do you remember when we used to make shit here? Mm. Like, when you go to the store and you look at something that's on the shelf and you, and you see that it's made somewhere else, and it's this lightweight piece of shit Fake plastic. Garbage that's going to fucking blow up in the microwave or, draw, you know, crack into pieces if you put it in the dishwasher. And it's like, really? We had to fucking throw this in a shipping container and drive it on a goddamn boat all the way from fucking China? We couldn't just do this here? Yeah, it's just... Over one.
4: pennies? And, and, I mean, when you look at the two biggest things that are driving the end of the domestic auto industry here in America, Noah, it's the radical climate mafia
3: mm-hmm.
4: and it's China. And the more that you have a sitting president like Joe Biden is at the behest of his handlers, who are all globalists, wanting to kowtow to China, wanting to get to net zero carbon emissions. Remember, it's going to cost us at least $500 trillion and we still won't hit zero. And it
3: won't do anything.
4: Won't do anything. You know, we've gotten to the point now to where if if you're not going to have a candidate who blatantly calls that out and say, you know, you have all these other people that are running – And racists just saying, oh, the threat of China, the threat of China, the threat of China. Why? What is it? What is the threat of China? What are they doing, you know, internationally? Uh, And how are they working with our historical geopolitical foes to destroy the economy here in the United States forever? Because once you lose certain aspects of it, we've already seen it in the microchip processing plants that are outsourced to other parts of the world. One of the biggest ones that everybody doesn't talk about is, you know, 95 percent of America's vaccines are produced internationally. Where we used to have factory after factory here in the United States that would be taking care of our own medicine.
3: Those are kind of important things. Mm -hmm. Being able to heal your fucking communities and your population without having to get, oh, I don't know, hey, this fucking country that we might end up being,
4: being at war with at some point. Like, oh,
3: guess what? They got all the shit
4: we need. And that's why medicine costs 100 times more here than it does anywhere else in the world. Well, that's because of our fucking medical system, which is... As corrupt as it can be. As corrupt as
3: it can be. If you look at the opioid epidemic, all that other stuff, it was money over people's lives. And it continues to be that way, where they mark everything up 1,000%. You go to the hospital, they give you a bill. It's you know $20,000. And then if you ask for the itemized bill, they're like, oh, just kidding, it wasn't that much.
4: Yeah, that's the truth. And Donald Trump warned that a vote for Joe Biden next fall will only lead to
7: one thing. Let's check it out. A vote for Crooked Joe <laughs> means the future of the auto industry will be made in China. That's what it's going to be. That's where they're made. My pledge to every automaker is this. A vote for President Trump means the future of the automobile will be made in America, where it should be. Made in America. fueled by American energy, it will be sourced by American suppliers, it will be sculpted from American iron, aluminum and steel, and it will be built by highly skilled American hands and high wage American labor. That's what's going to happen. It's going to happen. And we'll do it first day in office. Let's go. First day in office. It'll be signed out first day in office. What they're doing to our country is horrible. What they're doing to the auto workers of this country is, just doesn't make sense. I saved uh, American auto manufacturing, you know that in my first term, and I'll save it again, we did great. We did everything to keep those jobs going. We'll save it again in our second term. Unfortunately, that's what we had to do because things happened during the election that you know about happened right here in this state also. And we will make it bigger, better, and stronger than ever before. That's what we're going to do. But we, we want to talk about it, but we talk, and we keep talking, but we don't want to talk too much. But before we do talk about the current UAW strike that we've been hearing about, and uh, I see people really with mixed emotions, because you're striking for wages, but you know your job's only going to be here for two years or three years if you're lucky.
4: And that's a huge point right there. Yeah. Donald Trump tried to redirect the anger and angst from the United Auto Workers, not just simply for higher wages. Because, listen, following the pandemic, the people who are at the corporate level and above who are in charge of the auto industry, they've had a 400% raise in wages, earnings, and value. While the wages of the workers haven't really changed over the course of the last couple of years and definitely not enough to meet binomics and the awful inflation rate in this country right now. Oof. And when you talk about a state like Michigan, which essentially is a, across the board a blue-collar state, you just can't have that. Now they're, they're minimizing these people's jobs, they're reducing hours, they're cutting benefits, and the people are just beat up. But Donald Trump told them, your strike right now centering around wages is a good fight. But the better one is, and the most important one is, you have to save your industry. What's the difference if you're making $17 an hour and they bump it up to $20 an hour? And in 2025, your plant closes. Did, did, it, did you really benefit from making $3 more an hour for two years if your job's going to be outsourced and you're eventually going to be fired? And the thing is, is that when you just look at the X's and O's, Noah, it, it, it makes sense. And Donald Trump also challenged the auto workers to encourage your leaders, who are part of the corporate elitist class, mm. to get behind Donald Trump and endorse him. Wait,
3: well, you don't think Donald Trump's going to show up to the uh, auto worker plant and verbally berate somebody that's asking him a legitimate question?
4: I mean, he like lit- Joe Biden did. Well, I mean, Donald Trump called out the the leader of the labor unions and said, "Listen," he went on TV and said he didn't want me here. And he went on TV and said that he doesn't need to endorse me. And he's like, look at all you people that came out. It sounds like you guys want to endorse me. Why don't you have him be the voice of you? Because a vote for Donald Trump is a vote to save your industry. Yeah. Not just have higher wages. Yeah.
3: Decimating the automotive industry is job number three of Joe Biden. Literally. What yeah. like, what are the other two? Ruining the country. Propping up Ukraine. And climate change pronouns everything. And don't forget, everybody comes in free.
4: (laughs) True story. And they're getting paid. That's the thing. You know, Donald Trump would continue to hammer both Joe Biden and China as the speech rolled on. Let's hear it.
7: For decades, you've watched rotten and crooked politicians like Biden treat American jobs as disposable and American workers as expendable. They sat back and got rich by taking bribes to let other countries rape and pillage our jobs and our wealth. That's what happened. Joe Biden claims to be the most pro-union president in history. Nonsense. (laughs) Think of it. His entire career, just think of it. His entire career has been an act of economic treason and union destruction. He's destroyed unions. Shipping millions of American jobs overseas while personally taking money from foreign nations, hand over fist. Look at the money he got from China. Look at what's coming <laughs> China. out of China. 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 Crooked Joe backed NAFTA. He backed China's entry into the World Trade Organization. He backed the horrendous Trans-Pacific Partnership, which would have destroyed the American auto industry had I not stopped it. you remember when I stopped it? You the industry. <laughs>
4: Yeah, and you know Donald Trump would go on in that speaking piece right there to give a great analogy about Joe Biden. He said the job that Barack Obama was able to do to destroy the domestic auto industry during the course of his two terms, mm-hmm. Joe Biden has returned in the form of a vulture to pick at, at the bones, at the dying carcass and yeah. bones of of the auto workers and, and and the factories that are you know falling apart in cities that are going under right now, and it's just.
3: It's amazing that there's still mouth breathing idiots that are just gonna fucking line up to rubber stamp this guy in again.
4: I I don't think so as much to be honest with no, you. No,
3: but there are. I, I the other day I was driving, I saw somebody with a real fresh looking Biden bumper sticker on their car, mm. and I was like, man, I really hope this person's going the same place I am, so I could get a better look at him. Wasn't Dark Brandon? No, mm. I thought about following him, but I thought it'd be weird. Yeah, we don't want to do that. <laughs> We're not steak
4: for stalkers.
3: <laughs> I wasn't
4: going to follow him far. I just wanted to get a picture. The speech was well-received, and the polls are going to reflect that. Now, we're, we're going to talk about polls in our next news segment where we're going to break down just the absolute disaster that the second GOP debate was. But, you know, when you talk about... I didn't even bother to even look at it. Well, you got to watch it for the, uh, for the show, uh, and that's the thing. I'm not getting paid enough for this. The Daily Mail put out a poll. Who was the real winner of the second presidential debate? I did see that article. I didn't click on it. Donald Trump won by one point. It wasn't there. Correct. (laughs) I like it. You also have your first post-debate poll that came out today. It encompasses both the GOP primary and the potential general election matchup of Donald Trump versus Joe Biden, where Donald Trump is winning 44 to 41%. Nice. Nice. And then in the GOP presidential primary, remember, Donald Trump can't keep avoiding these debates. This is going to hurt him at the ballot box. Donald Trump, 62%. Ron DeSantis, 10%. Ramaswamy, 7 <laughs> Haley, 6 Scott, 3 Pence, 3%. i am just amazed that
3: DeSanctimonious is doing better than Ramaswamy.
4: You, you can't believe how much you've been lied to throughout the course of forever when it comes to politics. And in this digital age where we have independent media who is at the forefront of fighting these battles for you, there's very few outlets that do it, almost none that do it for free like we do here on Steak for Breakfast, which is a great time to remind you guys, hope you're enjoying the show today and our fantastic pack lineup of America First guests, wherever you're listening to us, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, please subscribe to the show, rate it five stars, even write a review if if you so desire. Then on social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram, find the Steak for Breakfast podcast accounts, follow us, and hit the notification bell. Donald Trump would leave the stage after mingling with the audience, doing the end of the Trump rally dance, kissing a couple babies, signing a couple signs, to go backstage with... He didn't sign any boobies this time? Not this time. Steak for Breakfast enjoyer, great friend of the show, John Bachman of Newsmax, and gave a little commentary following his speaking event. Let's hear it. Watch the, any highlights from the debate tonight?
7: I probably will, but it's, uh, you know, it's a job application, basically. You know. <laughs> yeah.
3: And uh, anybody stand out to you as a potential job applicant well, right you know, now? We're
7: leading by 57 points. Paul came out today over <laughs> to sanctimonious. He's falling fast. He's falling like a an injured bird out of the sky. Oh, God. An injured and, bird? And uh, I don't know. Nobody else seems to be taking his place. So we're leading by a lot, and maybe more importantly, we're leading Biden by ten points, according to the Washington Post ABC poll that just came out. And uh, we're doing good. We have to do good because if we don't win this race, uh, we're not going to have a country left.
4: Yeah, doing well with black voters, doing well with young voters. I saw that poll. Doing well with
7: Hispanic, with black, with young, with women, with men. We're doing well with everyone because they they're longing for what we had. We had the greatest economy in history. We rebuilt our military. We had the strongest border ever in our history.
4: And he would go on to name a whole bunch of things that he achieved in Agenda 45 that he looks to build on in Agenda 47.
7: Yeah, I just I wonder what
3: nice way people can when they don't want to just like verbally berate people over like their potential voting choices. Mm. Like, I mean, what, what is a good way to pose this? Like if obviously there's some people that are so Trump deranged that they would never be able to check the box without like physically being pained. But would it be a reasonable thing to just be like, look, I'm not asking you to vote for Trump. Just don't vote for the other guy. Well, here's the thing. Like, throw your vote away at an in independent because it still, it still does the same thing for, for the winner.
4: And we'll mention it now before we jump in with Congresswoman Sparks, who's getting keyed up here in just a moment. You know, Fox News has been in crisis mode for the last couple of weeks. Definitely of Crappy mode. Definitely since the first debate. Mm-hmm. First, they wanted to push Tim Scott. Then Tim Scott said he had an imaginary girlfriend. Well, he said he had a girlfriend, but everybody knows she's imaginary. So Tim Scott has turned down uh, interview events that were already scheduled with PBD, with Ruthless, and a couple of the mainstream outlets. And the thing is... We're not trying to get him? No. No. If Listen, Tim Scott is going to say how growing up as a poor black man in, in South Carolina was really hard, and he's very fortunate to where he... Got to right now. I completely agree with him. Great job. But if that's going to be the, the main pillars of your campaign platform, I could honestly care less. It doesn't sound very America first to me. So he's gone. Then Nikki Haley supposedly gets a bump after the first debate. and yeah, then, He couldn't
3: just like hire an escort to act like his girlfriend or something? Should have called Hunter.
4: i right. N- Nikki Haley, according to Fox News, had a strong debate. They kind of propped her up for a couple weeks, but then she went to the debate on Wednesday night and acted like a complete bitch the whole time. She literally called Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, and I'm paraphrasing now, a low-IQ retard when it comes to foreign policy. (laughs) And, and, you know, so she's out now. Ron DeSantis is obviously a non-factor. So yesterday I turned on Fox News and what happens? I see Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin on one of the midday shows, right? And they're talking about, you know, just the debate, the fallout from it, the kind of race in general. And then, of course, Fox News they project so hard and telegraph all of their moves. They pull up this article from the wall street journal where the time is now for Glenn Youngkin to get in the race. We all know that he doesn't want the Trump smoke. When you talk about the job that the meme makers and online organizations like the Dilly meme team have done to Ron DeSantis, do you think that, Glenn Youngkin really wants every single time he wipes his nose, wears the wrong shoes, an inappropriate shirt, makes fun of his wife, makes fun of his kids. Do you think he wants that 24-7? They don't need that smoke. No, and and they do it all for free. So they would so easily just jump from Rob DeSantis DeSantis, over to Glenn Youngkin and just ruin him.
3: I wish I had more free time. I would love to contribute to their stuff. Like, you know, we've, we've put out some pretty good memes. Yeah.
4: Yeah, it's just that the show has turned into a 24-7 news outlet. I don't even get to do things that I need to do lately. But here's the thing. It's going to be the next shiniest thing until there's no shiny things left, and then it's going to be eventually and reluctantly for a lot of these people in the mainstream media to, you know, migrate over to the Trump train. Some will be allowed on. Others won't. Jenna Ellis, we're talking to you. Seat's taken. <laughs> Steve Dees, you're never coming back, you fucking weirdo, fat piece of shit. Seat's taken. But that's the thing. You know, Donald Trump is out there doing the job that he is required to do, and there is a certain threshold for these candidates who are running in the fake primary underneath them. None of them even come close to meeting like a quarter of the benchmarks required. And Donald Trump has already done the job. Whether or not you liked it or agreed with everything, that's completely your opinion, and we say you're more than welcome to it. But here's the deal. Our country was a lot safer, stronger, and more prosperous under his leadership. End of story. End of debate.
3: And we weren't worried about nuclear winter.
4: Nope. No, we certainly weren't. Covid winter sometimes, but not nuclear winter. No, that was a dark winter.
3: What was a dark winter?
4: That was during a the wi- Biden administration. A a winter lot, of death. A lot of people confu- <laughs> confuse that as well. Oh, that's right. That's right. Remember, the vaccine was only available for like five weeks under Donald Trump's presidency, and that was coming after the fallout of January sixth. So there wasn't much time for him to mandate it, which he never did. Technically,
3: the vaccine was never available. Yeah, I mean, really, I if you want to, if you want to be fucking,
4: it wasn't readily available like it is now. It was for the most medically no, no. incurred. I mean, and-
3: I mean. The actual vaccine that they rolled out, mm-hmm. comernity, mm-hmm. it was a fucking press release. It was never available in the United States. Nope. and never Everything else was emergency use authorized.
4: Get your booster. Pass out on live television. No. But that's neither here nor there. No, it's there now. Donald Trump rocked Michigan. He completely stole the show from the debate. I think everybody in both the mainstream and outlier press agree. Outlier and,
3: press? Oh, is that new? It could be us. All right.
4: There we go. We're gonna be jumping in with Congresswoman Victoria Sparks for the first time in just a moment, but before we do, let's hear from one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. The Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing longstanding MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're gonna get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow Dog beds, the dell version 1 and 2, MySlippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched MyCoffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you need a code steak here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep-related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak, or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. She's the congresswoman who is representing Indiana's 5th congressional district. Been waiting a long time to have her on the show. Really excited to be sitting down with her for the first time. Representative Victoria Spartz, thank you for coming on Steak for Breakfast. Uh,
8: Thank you for having me. Appreciate it.
4: Well, you guys have had a busy couple weeks. So, we, we've had a lot of your congressional counterparts in here over the last couple of weeks. The ones we talked about before we jumped on the air, in addition to that, Wesley Hunt, Corey Mills, Mike Collins have all been in here. And it seems like a lot of you guys are all on the same page when it comes to the budget battle that's going up on Capitol Hill. I mean, today's the deadline. We're running into it pretty hard. It's not looking very optimistic, or from our standpoint, looks very optimistic because I think we do need a hard reset. Do you want to give our listenership a little bit of what you guys are working on as we near the deadline for the uh, government shutdown?
8: Well, I'll tell you one thing. If we want to win this war, which we must win, we must win for a lot of people who died for our republic, we have to start winning some battles. And there are going to be some tough ones. You know, the issues with you know, reckless spending and disregard of the rights of American you know, and really tyranny of American citizens been happening for a long time now. So it's very difficult. But we cannot blame other congresses. We are in charge and while you know, grandchildren and children going to look at us. Did we do anything we could to start changing? the status quo, start moving the needle on some of these very difficult issues. So I think these are very righteous fights. I think, you know, Washington DC has a lot of muscle memory to do nothing and create crises and then create omnibuses and pretty much you know continue recklessness. And I think I'm glad that more conservatives and really freedom fighters willing to stand up and challenge it because, you know, it will take more than one of us, but uh With all of the bad things, tight majority allows us to put pressure on our leadership to start governing.
4: And pressure you guys have applied. I do like that muscle memory reference. I definitely think there's a lot of people who enjoy protein up on Capitol Hill because when you talk about, you know, surpassing the $33 trillion, uh, you know, federal deficit of $2 trillion a year annually, we're, we're in really just destructive times for our country that... At some point, the rest of the world is going to realize we can't hold ourselves up anymore. We're going to run out of international counterparts like China to continue to borrow from to just fund garbage. And, you know, you guys have to pump the brakes. It's really sad to see a handful of senators and, and a, a, you know, a dozen Two dozen congressmen and women who have really stood up during this session of Congress right now. But I have to tell you, all the feedback from our listenership every time any of your uh, you know, congressional counterparts come on the show, they absolutely love the fact that you guys have made a stand and are holding the line in this because this really does speak towards taking this country down a road that we're not going to be able to get back from at some point.
8: Well, listen, uh, the hardest thing is politics is to challenge your own leadership of your own party. It's very easy to go and, you know, and tell them Fox News, I'm fighting China and all this BS and being talking points and everything else and blame the other side. It's very difficult and there are a lot of consequences for anyone standing up against big money and leadership of your own party. And that's how you get battle tested. Are you really willing to fight for the people? Are you willing to go in the trenches? And I will encourage your listeners, pay attention who is in the trenches and next time when you're a representative go and tell you a great deal of talk how wonderful they are how they support all these conservative values ask them have you been in one of the trenches to fight for anything at all ever or just being a talking head writing books doing this presentation and messaging mill bill only you know only results matter Messaging, I'm sorry, letters that were sent to other branch, all of this stuff. I told Kevin, you can wipe, you know, what with all of that stuff. Only money matters. Washington DC machine is becoming very wealthy. K Street is getting very, very healthy at the expense of Americans. And Americans are paying a high price with inflation that is going to be very destructive for the middle class and low income people, people on, you know, that'll fix incomes with all of their terrible energy policies, with lawlessness at our border, with infringements and tyranny on people's rights. I mean, real American lives are going to be affected very significantly in a negative way. And we have to stand up, and my party has to stand up. We are in charge in the House. We cannot blame anyone else.
4: No, that's it right there. And when you talk about standing up for it, Congresswoman, one of the big things that you've stumped on is is ending the never-ending unregulated funding to the conflict in Ukraine. You've even gone as far ahead uh, to, you know, call for an inspector general to look into the, you know, $100 billion that's already been sent over there, a quarter of a trillion dollars when you talk about all of the aid and military equipment that's come in since the start of the conflict last February. You want to elaborate a little bit with with your take into the conflict on Ukraine and why you think we definitely need to have some oversight instead of just blindly sending Anything that's not nailed down in Washington, D.C., over there, whether it's taxpayer dollars, our military equipment, our ammunition, et cetera?
8: Well, actually, it's interesting because when I stood up last summer as the only person demanding oversight, I was attacked by both sides, by Democrat or Republican. She's pro-Kremlin and from Russia because she's demanding accountability. I was in drugs remod. I couldn't believe that. You know, I think American people are very generous people, but we are not fools, too. And we also need to learn from mistakes, what happened in Afghanistan, have a lack of oversight considering track record of our administration that failed us so many times, track record of Ukrainian governments, and I always separate very freedom-loving people dying in the trenches for freedoms, and the government. There is always a difference between the people and the government, and government have to be watched. Every government, every leader has to be watched, and we need to make sure we have that it's actually in the benefit of american people because we want to succeed and stopping this aggression and the war can escalate to very significant crisis but also it's in the interest of the ukrainian people real people that dying over there and you know and this is a very serious conflict so i think i was very surprised and shocked when i got attacked but you know what i'm okay i can be one woman standing i don't care about that unfortunately we have too many people here in Washington D.C. that don't care about people's life. You also cannot neglect domestic issues. I think this is an issue that's very material, and I think this administration fell in so many fronts. You know, and if you want to deal with dictators, I mean, if you remember how the conflict started when you know President Obama, when uh, you know Putin went into Crimea, he gave Ukrainian blankets, yeah. and then he did nothing. You know, when he entered Eastern Ukraine, actually Trump was the only president. You know, who gave Ukraine little weapons and told Putin, not under my watch. You're not going to move. And guess what? He didn't move. You know, but then he saw President Biden being weak, political, have a lot of the same Hillary Clinton, Obama people around him, which, you know, failed in so many foreign policy issues. And he said he's an opportunist. He only understands strengths. I mean, peace through strengths, unfortunately, that's the only thing that works. And he didn't do anything before the war started. He knew. He knew that it was going to start, so he could have done a lot of deterrence, bringing some weapons, start doing some sanctions before the war. And a lot of Republicans called on it and he did nothing. And I think that's a challenge is because it cost American people a lot of money, but also cost Ukrainians very many lives and could be very serious. So I think Congress try to do what we could you know to put pressure but unfortunately even some democrats are upset about some things they are not willing to stand up against their own party as much as some republicans are willing to do that and that's how you get tested are you willing to challenge your own party regardless who is in charge democrat or republican and that's how real patriots that willing to challenge the status
4: quo you have to buck the trend sometimes and you also thought it was pretty laughable yesterday when senate minority leader mitch mcconnell said that the uh funding of the conflict in ukraine is the single most important conservative republican issue facing america right now
8: (laughs) well listen unfortunately we have too many issues facing americans and we need to start governing You know, we have a very weak foreign policies and let China and Russia now take over Africa, South America, advancing in Europe and Asia, which is not very good for us because these people are not our friends and that's our weak and, you know, stupid foreign policy in the way how we waste money to dumb organizations like UN that actually give money and cater to China on top of it, which is totally ridiculous, you know. And we have some serious issue with inflation, You know, stupid energy policy and border security. This is, you know, this is a huge national security issues. And we have a lot of adversaries over there that, you know, can take advantage. We have cartels working with China to kill Americans with fentanyl, making a lot of money, controlling that border. Our border patrol, and you know, and then we have a lot of getaways. We don't even know who these people that running across the border. And I'm telling you, people that don't have a bad intent. They actually want to be taken by Border Patrol because they actually try to find them. They're searching for them. I've been at the border many times because then you get a lot of benefits. You can actually treat better being here legally than legally when I came. I had to work extremely hard as a legal (laughs) immigrant, you know, and I'm not judgment-proof. You know, I get no benefits, no perks from the government. I had to, you know, to, to work for everything in my life. You know, but you come here legally. You got a lot of handouts. Everything for free. You get in free healthcare. You have to have food and this and this and. I mean, there are a lot of things. So they actually people that don't have bad intent and they listen. These are desperate people. We just create perverse incentive for them to be now enslaved to cartels. You know, they 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 actually search for border patrol. So it means that people that try to escape from water control, have something that we probably don't want to know about them. And this is, I mean, this is thousands and thousands of people. That is very dangerous.
4: Yeah, it certainly is, especially when you talk about the amount of people on the terror watch list that came in in the last couple of years during President Trump's almost none compared to just the ones that we've, you know, ran into this year. When you talk about over a million plus gotaways just this year, you can only imagine the the type of people that could potentially be coming into the country and, and don't even want to start thinking about what their intentions ultimately could be. Congresswoman, I want to switch gears just a little bit because yesterday, James Comer, Jim Jordan, and Jason Smith kicked off the beginning of the Joe Biden and Impeachment inquiry committee, a uh, lot of lights and sounds, a little bit of a shit show from time to time. Jamie Raskin didn't help his cause by bringing some of the most radical progressive lawyers on the Democrat side there to just kind of grandstand and try to debunk everything, uh, you know, from day one. But you know, with the leadership that's overseeing the committee, in addition to some of the stronger congressmen and women there, I saw Nancy Mason, Byron Donalds yesterday had some great talking points. How do you see this thing starting to develop? Obviously, we've produced more than receipts. I hope it moves fast, but it seems like the Democrats are just going to play D.C. politics and try to slow this down all the way up and through next year's election.
8: Well, I actually, listen, I think any issues as impeachment inquiry has to be very serious and taken by everyone seriously. So I hope my colleagues at work, and it's really taken seriously, not for presentation, because these are very serious allegations. When you have president of the United States could be compromised by some foreign countries that are not our friends, a lot of them. So this is a huge problem. And I think we need to go to proper investigation and gather proper evidence. So I hope, you know, that we have, because we have too many subcommittees doing with a lot of different investigations, but... I hope that we actually, and I told Kevin McCarthy, we need to look seriously because this is the allegations that are very material and it's a national security issue for the country. A lot of Republicans in Judiciary Committee, which actually has ultimate jurisdiction over any impeachment proceedings, if anything has to go further, are very serious constitutional conservatives that are not taken lightly. We are not like the other side. They just wanted to drag Trump through mud you know, and be able to cause him problems because from day one they would try to get rid of him. They would try to do anything not to him be elected as a president, and then they did anything that they could take him down. Whether you hate him or love it, you know, he was elected president. They had no right to do it. It was unconstitutional what we were doing. I don't think Republicans, regardless of what they will say about us, most Republicans in our community are pretty serious. And if we're going to get countries we are very serious, proceedings and we'll have to make sure that we have a proper evidence. That's why I told Kevin we need to have more collaboration between different committees because it's very ad hoc and fragmented, and we need to have a serious look in some of this stuff. So eventually this information will get to a judiciary member because not all of us serve in different subcommittees. We're busy with a lot of other issues. But I can tell you one thing. Every member in my committee is going to be seriously looking if we have to proceed further, but we had to get to the bottom. People are sick and tired with lack of accountability. We had Durham report. I was in the committee and everyone was sitting in Kumbaya. I said, awesome. You know this is like a roadmap that DOJ is doing. Let's make sure we appoint special counsel Because then you don't have to answer any questions. You know, attorney generals, well, it's under investigation. Everything is under investigation, so they don't have to answer us. Then make sure you slow walk all of this investigation. They were very quick with Trump. They actually started to do in proceedings with an investigation without even do proper vetting of very shady sources. They were very quick, but they dragged on on Hillary Clinton. They did the same on Hunter you know, until statutes or limitation expired. Very convenient. Then no one remembers anything. You know, as I said, you know, when the here, an FBI agent needs to be tested for amnesia before they get hard. You know, everyone doesn't remember, doesn't recall, you know, and then pretty much no one at the end goes to, you know, uh, n- no consequences and no one goes to jail or get punished. People then write books and sit on CNN and do their presentation. So, Of course, if there is no, you know, consequences of making bad, you know, doing bad actions, so there is no deterrence to continue doing it. And that's been done for a while now.
4: No, I mean, you make an excellent point there. I know you gave us a couple footnotes from your exchange last week. I'm going to end on that point because I do want to touch on it. We do extensive coverage of, you know, the politics here in the United States. We try to take it from all angles, good, bad, and in between. We, we have so many congressmen and women that come on the show and give our audience a real take and some insight onto what's going on out of all the stuff that I've seen throughout the course of this session of Congress. Uh, you know, I have to admit, I think your exchange with Merrick Garland last week uh, on the Judiciary Committee was probably one of the best and strongest performances. Not like it's theatrical. I'm just saying providing the United States and, and the people of this country with actual receipts on what's going on up there and how bad this Justice Department has turned into under his watch for everyone to just see. And I want you to just give us a little bit of insight onto you know, how that exchange kind of went down. I mean, we've considered Merrick Garland on the show. We've kind of tabbed him the best revenge hire in the history of modern politics. He was obviously shunned and embarrassed during his Supreme Court nomination by Mitch McConnell back during the Obama administration. And it seems like now that he's got the reins, he has no problem going up on Capitol Hill saying he doesn't remember, can't talk about it. You know, all the all the excuses he gives. Meanwhile, he goes back to the office and lets all the people that are working under him, Lisa Monaco, who's definitely, you know, one of those people that were involved in the Obama administration and all the stuff that has to do with Russiagate that we were just kind of, grazing over right now and you know when when you look at it it seems like there's no rails that this guy won't go out of the parameters of it's whether it's you know catholics that are going after religious freedom pro-lifers pta parents and now you know congressman and women, they're opening up investigations to them and then obviously all the stuff with president trump when you see this stuff kind of going down i'm sure that was a very you know emotionally driven way to kind of let him hear how you speak on not only behalf of your district, but on behalf of the American people who have had to live under the guise of this, you know, terrible administration for the last nearly three years now. What, what was, uh, you know, your big takeaways from that exchange with him? And, and moving forward, do you think it's going to move the needle at all on the way he operates? Well,
8: listen, um, I'll be honest with you. You know, I, you know, I... I'm not naive about politics and a You know, I had very low expectations from Congress, and it exceeded my expectations. <laughs> you know, and, but uh, but you know, I'm sitting on this committee, and what my frustration is, unfortunately, these people only really care about the money, right? If we don't start doing our job and take money from them and do proper oversight through authorization processes, they don't care about anything else. So they know, you know, we do this presentation and all of this statement. I know exactly how they're gonna answer. Actually they taught me a lot of these things like how I'm going to answer. If somebody asks me, I'm like, oh this is a good lesson this is pretty clever. You know, they're brilliant and clever to avoid accountability. I mean I have to give them credit. That's that they taught for years and to do that. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, You know i even told jim jordan i said listen this kind of waste of my time i should be happy to yield you time and you know i don't really so i said like don't you know i will listen and see if there is anything useful i can ask him i'm honestly just like i used to prepare and do this question and this i'm like oh this is five minutes they know they wasted five minutes of your time and then move on okay and i am not there to presentation i actually need to figure out what to do to save this republic Mm -hmm. so i was sitting there and i was actually was almost like not going even to talk to him and just um you know yield my time to Jim but then I was listening to him and he was a very like moving story he was talking about his grandparents came from Belarus being under oppression being afraid of the government and I just thought you know what I mean I don't know him I mean but there is something always in some human being that maybe they could feel embarrassed that what they're doing you know and maybe he doesn't hear what I hear from the people, you know, and I just wanted, you know, there was totally, you know, I just wanted to share with him as a human being that I want him to know that what he said about great about this country, because his grandparents came here from came, you know, you know, escape tyranny and oppression. That's exactly what he's doing right now. I want him to know that how Americans feel on the ground. A lot of people here never get out on Washington, D.C. They don't understand what the real life is and how they affect real lives of Americans. They don't get it. So I just wanted him to hear and maybe think about it, what he's doing and how it affects people's life. That's all I can do. You know, it was interesting. He was at some event later and he stepped, you know, he came down to me and said hello. He says, well, I'd be happy to talk about something. I don't know. There is much to talk. I've been trying to talk on FISA and everything else. I think we need to make some stance. And I hope my Republicans will stand strong because we have some bills that are very important. Yes. You know, we have FISA, Section 7 2 authorization. And we can make something. So I don't know if these people care, but I want them to know because maybe they do not know what they're doing is a tyranny of the government, and it breaks my heart that's it happened in our country.
4: Yeah, and, and we can only be thankful for fighters like you, Congresswoman, up on Capitol Hill. Listen, I'd be lying if I said saying, this hasn't been awesome sitting down with you for the first time today. We're going to invite you, yak. At some point in the future, we only hope that you'll be inclined to join us. We're obviously going to live link your congressional website in the show description today so everybody can check out all the great works that you've got going on up on Capitol Hill and continuing on in your fight. But for anybody that's not following you on social media, where can they check you out?
8: Well, I think it's, you know, Rep Sparks. It's my uh, Twitter. And, um, you know, I'm trying to be more active and doing more social media. I don't have as much time, but I'm very happy to join people that will willing to have a direct discussion with the american people because you will not get it from traditional media so it's good that people like you are you know and doing this podcast and informing american people more because that's the only way how we're going to save this republic to have american people saying enough is enough and start get rid of some worthless politicians thank you for having me
4: no it certainly is and i'm going to take that as a soft yes for you coming back on the show this is yes i'd be happy to the congresswoman that's representing indiana five absolute warrior up on Capitol Hill. For America First. Victoria Spartz, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. Governor
8: Christie, as governor of a non border state in 2010, you supported a path to citizenship. But when you ran for president in 2016, you flipped, saying immigrants should be tracked like FedEx packages. Where do you stand now on a path to citizenship for 11 million of undocumented immigrants?
5: Well, the problem is that since no one has done anything since we first had this discussion 13 years ago, we're not in a position to be able to do any of that anymore. What we have to do now is first treat this like the law enforcement problem it is. Our laws are being broken every day at the southern border, every day. And Joe Biden and his crew is doing nothing about enforcing that law. They are letting it go. And by the way, they announced during the presidential race that we're going to let it go. And we need to have a a president who acts like I did as governor enforce the law. First and foremost, and that means what I'll do on day one is sign an executive order to send the National Guard to partner with Customs and Border Patrol to make sure that we stop the flow of fentanyl over the border, but also to make sure that we send a much different message. We want you here in this country to fill the six million vacant jobs we have, but only if you come here to follow the law and only if you come here legally. If you come here illegally, we will apprehend you and we will send you back across the border from which you came. And the fact is that until we set a law and order agenda in this country, not only now, but in the future, we won't, we won't be able to continue this. And I'll look, I'll tell you this. Donald Trump failed on this as well. He said he was going to build a wall across the whole border. He built 52 miles of wall and said Mexico oh, would pay it. for it. Guess what? I think if Mexico knew that he was only going to build 52 miles, they might have paid for the 52 miles. And Donald Trump should be here to answer for that, but he's not. And I want to look in that camera right now and tell you, Donald, I know you're watching. You can't help yourself. I know you're watching. Okay? And you're not here tonight. Not because of polls, and not because of your indictments. You're not here tonight because you're afraid of being on this stage and defending your record. You're ducking these things, and let me tell you what's going to happen. You keep doing that, no one up here is going to call you Donald Trump anymore. We're going to call you Donald Duck. All right. I want to ask. About the- <laughs>
4: well, it was an absolute delight sitting down with Congresswoman Victoria Spartz for the first time. I definitely think she'll be joining us again, Noah. I hope so. She did say that Kevin McCarthy could wipe his ass with the continuing (laughs) resolution. That in it alone is enough for a return on steak for breakfast for the Congresswoman. She was absolutely amazing, and she's one of the firebrands up there. You saw her completely embarrass the U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland last week during the Judiciary Committee when she said basically he's like running the KGB up there and You know, listen, she's lived through it. She's got the receipts. Obviously, you heard how many times she mentioned President Trump throughout the course of our interview, which we did, you know, go over the time because when the content's that spicy, you just got to keep it rolling. Yeah, There's no reason to stop it uh, due to time constraints. So you're welcome for that, and it's great to have our first – well, America First Congresswoman will be joining us on the show who will be coming back on a regular basis. we got so many more new congressmen and women who are lined up through the month of October as well. We're, we're, we're going to be expanding, and I think we're going to be able to get a couple senators in here. Um, and it's going to be good. Unlike the second Fox 2024 GOP primary debate, which aired on Wednesday, starting a little bit later than Donald Trump's speaking event. And if you don't think Donald Trump pulled away from the ratings... This was the lowest viewed presidential primary debate since 2015. Really? There was lower a little bit lower than the last one. There was a little over 13 million who met the threshold to count as a viewer for the first one. And only 9.5 million people watched this one. <laughs> 340 million people in this country. That's brutal. Brutal. In addition to Donald Trump being the clearly defined winner of the debate, And if you're wondering, hit the link tree in our bio or go back and look at some of our older posts. I put out a a new stake for Substack this week, which kind of highlights Donald Trump's events and contrasts the disaster that the debate was. So give that a click and a share. We'd really appreciate it. But when you talk about the strongest performances, I'll be completely honest with you, Noah. It was Donald Trump and California Governor Gavin Newsom who crashed the debate and sat down with Hannity afterwards for some commentary on it. I don't want to spoil it if you haven't heard it yet, but he compared the people that are running underneath Donald Trump in the fake primary as some really embarrassing things. Really? Yeah. He, he had a stronger performance than anybody on the debate stage, and I can't fucking stand the American psycho. Right. He's terrible. If you don't live in Southern California like Noah and myself do, gas is six fifty nine a gallon for regular by my house right now. It's Depen- up-
3: Depending on where you stop. If you're anywhere near a fucking freeway... It's going to be like three times as expensive. Mm
4: -hmm. It's a disaster. Much like this debate, you know, it's, it's, you know, you talk about the moderators too. You heard in that first clip of the uh, sloppy fat ass Chris Christie montage where he's just got nothing left. The guy's absolutely punchless getting asked a question about the border wall by Univision's uh, Ilya Calderon, who number one hates white people. And number two is never Trumper. So she's going to let these people just go and, and lies throughout the course of the debate. And I, I do want to fact check Chris Christie here. I'm jumping onto the official department of Homeland security website right here, uh, a commemorative post, which we've referenced on the show a couple times. It's been linked in, in a lot of our posts. I, I when ever people cite that Donald Trump only built 50 miles of border wall, I always reference them back to this point and then add a corresponding picture of Donald Trump signing the memorial plaque on the border wall, which commemorates this event right here. Phase one, Of the border wall. DHS and CBP celebrate 400 miles of new border wall system. That's the title of the article on the official DHS.gov website, and that is dated October 29, 2020. Sounds like that still falls under the parameters of the first Trump administration.
3: Uh, 400 is much more than, what was the claim? 50. 50. Mm -hmm. 400 versus 50. 50. I'm not a mathematician, but uh, I think I can figure that one out.
4: The 52 additional miles that everybody always continues to reference is the amount of wall that Donald Trump was building as part of phase two, which he would be able to complete in a little bit less than a month if he had gone straight into a second term. So you can go back to that inflection point right there. But the fact of the matter is, the Department of Homeland Security, who is now under the direction of Alejandro Mayorkas, still acknowledges the fact that DHS and CBP celebrate 400 miles of new border wall system. That is an article, again, that's dated on the official website from October 29th of 2020. I'll just read the opening paragraph. Today, the Department of Homeland Security, DHS, and U.S. Customs and Border Protection, CBP, celebrated the construction of nearly 400 miles of new border wall system in high-priority locations across the U.S. southern border. Here's the big part here. Under the Trump administration. Ha! Ha! So anybody that's propagating this fake news, go to the DHS website or just Google DHS celebrates 400 miles of border wall. It'll take you directly to the article and you can link it in everybody's comments, all the Ann Coulters, the Chris Christie's, all the jerk offs out there who say that this never happened because it did. Donald Trump finished in totality throughout the course of his first term, nearly 500 miles of border wall. That is an indisputable fact. End of argument. And it's a pretty hefty wall,
3: too. Yeah, just imagine if you had to follow through with the threats of making it ten feet higher.
4: Oh, remember you had like some of the shitty uh, wooden fence that you'd see on shows like fucking Yellowstone yeah. that were considered
3: border wall. Oh, uh, like a piece of chain t- with some bollards.
4: That, and, was, that was it. And two posts with a sign that says "Please don't cross."
3: Please don't drive cars full of drugs through here. Yeah,
4: thanks. So, uh, listen, we're going to get into this. We're gonna we got to cover a little bit of the debate. Remember, lowest rated since. 2015, and then I want to talk about some of the moderators. I already hit on Calderon. She's a racist and a piece of shit from Univision. You had Dana Perino, who, who just was absolutely giving rhino talking points throughout the course of this, you know, debate, and then hours before the, the candidates took the stage, I air quote when I say candidates because, remember, we're referencing the fake primary here under Donald Trump's clear path to the nomination at this point. Dana Perino is gushing At a Clinton Foundation event, introducing Hillary Clinton to speak at this thing. And it's like, what the fuck is going on? She's like, oh, this is like the fantastic, superb Secretary of State, Miss Hillary Clinton. She gives her a handshake, a half hug, a kiss on the cheek. And I'm just like, this is the person that's going to moderate the GOP presidential primary debate? She's gushing over Hillary Clinton? That seems not good. At all. You know, and we all know what happens at the Clinton Foundation. They sure do love them kids Mm. and money laundering. Yeah. The debate, I would say, at the most part, and at its very best, was chaotic. It was just everybody yelling and screaming at each other the whole time, talking over each other. Let's play a clip right now so I can just give you guys a taste of what this shit show was like.
5: Hunter Biden, mm-hmm. millions of dollars, was a partner this of yours as nonsense. well. It's not nonsense. So do you, look, do here's do, what,
0: Alan, I want to respond. Seconds. These these are I, good please. people who are tainted by a broken system, and it's not the fault I, I of anybody botten who's botten involved. Botten Some of us are tainted. by line of us are Thank you for speaking while I'm interrupting. You said Biden. You can't be on both sides. Gentlemen, you'll have your turn. One of the challenges is we have a focus on the issues that matter
9: business in China. May, Everybody knows that. If I may if Let's I may, focus address, on holding Joe yeah, Biden accountable. That's how we need to be I actually on. agree with, with Ron Ron the television. Television. At
0: the same time,
8: no one can understand exactly.
0: So if I may, I agree with Ron DeSantis on China. When every other CEO expanded into the Chinese market, you know what I did with my first company? We opened a subsidiary in China. But you know what I did that was different than every other company? We got the hell out of there. And when I started my yeah, next right company, you ran Strive, president. right when... That's years ago. Wait, 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 wait. Right when I started my my next company strive <laughs> to compete against BlackRock, excuse me, no, no. to compete against BlackRock, I made a commitment that we would never Wait, do business in China. And I will say it's something, it's something. It's yes. I think
8: you have more than time to explain yeah. your point. Well,
0: if I, I was interrupted by a lot of people here, and I want to be respectful, the, because I yeah, believe yeah, these were really be real, but I do not yeah.
8: believe in
0: these. We're sitting here in the Reagan Library. Yes, I wish you and would not think it in the honor of Ronald Reagan's library, if I may, Tim, from one admirer of Ronald Reagan to another, from one admirer of Reagan to another, we cannot see Let's
10: can't have, have can't a policy understand debate. Understand what's going on? on. Let, let us have a policy on. debate. Have have records,
0: Let's talk about, their Let's, talk about their Let's have a on. policy, policy yeah. debate, yeah. and
7: the right Let's answer is we need to declare independence from China, and I will see that through. You are a nasty person.
4: I have high anxiety. Wow, that was a minute and forty-seven seconds of seven people yelling at each other at the same time. That was ridiculous. The moderators had no control.
3: Well, at least the moderators weren't one of the people like constantly yelling. Or were they? I don't know who the moderator was. <laughs> yeah, that was there.
4: that was Calderon who kept trying to inter.
3: Oh, okay, disregard. the yeah. same, same shit as the before then.
4: And cut off Vivek. And he's like, well, excuse me, uh, there were a whole bunch of people talking when I was trying to make my point. And she's like, yes, and now you're talking over me. And he's like, yeah, well, I'd like to make my point. And then Tim Scott comes back in and you hear Nikki Haley's He's like, blah, 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 blah. everybody's just screaming. I was like, I'm sweaty right now listening to that. Yeah. You know, and that's not the worst of it. Unfortunately, I don't know if you heard Noah, (laughs) Ron DeSantis, who's apparently dropping like a wounded bird, gave Joe Biden his second official campaign commercial of the 2024 election season. Gave it to him? Handed it to him on a silver platter. We all know Dark Brandon's, the first commercial with the coffee mug. Man, the memers have really gone so above and beyond with that one. Yeah, that's good. Oh, yeah. Listen to Ron DeSantis, hold the line for the Republican Party and stick up for some Trump era policies when asked about inflation.
10: And you know who else is missing in action? Donald Trump is missing in action. He should be on this stage tonight. He owes it to you to defend his record where they added $7.8 trillion to
4: the debt. That set the stage for the inflation that we have now.
7: I'm Joe Biden,
4: and I approve this message. How do you like that one? <laughs> Mm, ow like honestly the the trillions of dollars that were added to the debt came in the face of the first pandemic that this world has ever known in nearly a century and here's the thing in retrospect nobody's better armchair quarterbacks than political commentators and and analysis like Noah and myself Mm -hmm, are mm -hmm. we all know it was fucking bullshit but when there's burn pits in China they're running out of places at the crematories. You got all these videos circulating online of people dropping dead left and right. And then the pandemic hits. What the fuck can you do? You, you had the government briefly shut down. And then as it opened up, you, you had the country that was just absolutely decimated by the, 15 days
3: to slow the economy.
4: Well, that's the thing. The radical progressive governors across this country just wouldn't budge on siding with the labor unions and the teachers unions and keeping so many facets of the world shut down. And then you had all these other regulations.
3: Well the more that they the more that they would back off on any of the things that they said is the faster their emergency power went away. Yeah. And that's one thing the government does not do. It does not spend less after a record spending year and it doesn't give up power when it's acquired
4: it. Gavin Newsom was on the news this morning still thanking moderate Republicans for standing up for mask and vaccine mandates, closing schools and businesses longer than they needed to be this morning. He was talking about that stuff, still saying how it was great that Republicans in, in blue States and and moderate Republicans up on Capitol Hill stood up to the mob who called the mandate fascism and all this other stuff. And what can you say? It's like it was, if you didn't trust the science at first, You'd you'd be considered an absolute murderer. And then as you saw how this thing was developing, budget still had to be passed. I mean, a lot of this falls on the shoulders of Congress, uh, you know, in the House of Representatives, and the Senate, even though Donald Trump eventually signed it into law. The fact of the matter is this is for stuff that they claimed that we needed coming out of the pandemic and to blame Donald Trump for it. Especially in a place like Florida, where Ron DeSantis continues to try and rewrite history on the pandemic. Uh, Even though he closed beaches and businesses and had checkpoints going in and out of the state, he closed schools and had max mandates. And he went on TV and just absolutely loved the vaccine and, and did all these public events at places like Publix and with local pharmacies, CVS and all that bullshit. It's like when you're not there to defend yourself, this is what happens. But we've already shown you in consecutive clips, two instances where people just straight up lie. Those are not the facts. And Fox News and their crappy-ass moderators did nothing to correct anybody. Yeah. <laughs> what
3: What's that? A vaccine? Mmm. Probably a lot of blood clots in that, huh?
4: <laughs> you like myocarditis? <laughs> what do you think Dr. Fauci would say about what that? What flavors that carditis? Mm. you going to give us a little Fauci? You know our listenership loves it. <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about? Vaccine efficacy?
3: Uh, Well, the, the, the issue with the... Uh, Efficacy of the vaccine was that uh, people were uh, ref- refusing to take it. So uh, it, it's, it's, it's very difficult to get a shot to uh,
4: go into a body if someone doesn't want it. Thank you, Dr. Bobblehead. <laughs> I'm going to interject right here with a message in real time that aired during the debate from Steak for Breakfast Enjoyer and Trump campaign senior advisor Chris Lasavita. Mm-hmm. Before I get into Donald Trump's truth a little later on. Tonight's GOP debate was as boring and inconsequential as the first debate and nothing that was said will change the dynamics of the primary contest by being dominated by President Trump. President Trump has a 40 or 50 point lead in the primary election and a 10 point lead over Joe Biden in the general election and it's clear that President Trump alone can defeat Joe Biden. The RNC should immediately put an end to any further primary debate so we can train our fire on crooked Joe Biden and quit wasting time and money that could be going to a ejecting joe biden from the white house ejecting i love me some Las Vida. yeah he's great good guy nikki haley i already teased it she wasn't rewriting history or hitting donald trump she was in turn weaponizing the r word in reference to vivek ramaswamy and his foreign policy she stance is. let's hear her one person ahead, on
11: please? This is infuriating because TikTok <laughs> is one of the most dangerous, dangerous social yeah, media apps yes that is. we could have. And what you've got, I honestly, every time I hear you, I feel a little bit dumber for what you say, hmm. because I can't believe you know, they hear you've got Fine a Day. TikTok situation. What they're doing is these 150 million people are on <laughs> TikTok. That means they can get your contacts. They can get your financial information. They can get your emails. They can Let get me just text say, messages. They can get all this of is these important. things. This is very it. Exactly what they're this doing. This is very important to our party. what we've seen and I'm is say, you've gone and you've helped China stop. build, make medicines will, in China, not America. Me, you now wanting kids to go and get on the social media that's dangerous for all of now, us. You went and you were in business with the Chinese that gave Hunter Biden five million dollars. We can't trust you. We so can't let me, trust you. Let me we say can't something. have TikTok yes, and all these platforms.
0: Mr. Ramaswamy, you have fifteen seconds. I think. Excuse me. You have person. 15 seconds, Mr. Yo, 15. I think we will be better served as a Republican Party if we're not sitting here hurling personal insults and actually have a oh, legitimate debate I, sorry, about policy.
4: Wow. As if you couldn't make this shit up, and in real time, while Nikki Haley was making those talking points about communist China and the weaponization of TikTok, her daughter and large African-American boyfriend were performing TikTok dances, live-streaming it during the debate.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Was the TV on in the background with the
2: debate?
4: That would have been perfect. They should have just dropped it on the Jumbotron. I mean, you you can't make it. The the talking points were so old and beaten and stale that, honestly, we're done covering it. Mm -hmm. We will spice things up in a few minutes when New York Congressman George Santos comes in here. We're going to ask him to provide a little commentary on the impending retirement of Utah Senator Mitt Romney, Mr. Pierre Delecto himself. (laughs) Wee (laughs) wee. Pierre Delecto. People say, oh yeah, Doug Burgum, North Dakota governor, he had a strong standing. Listen, I don't think Doug Burgum wouldn't make a horrible energy secretary or secretary of the interior if David Bernhardt doesn't have the desire to come back. But here's the thing. You want to talk about some of the talking points Doug Burgum hit on during the debate? Let's go back to his record as governor of North Dakota. As governor, Doug Burgum has vetoed a bill banning porn in elementary schools. Ouch. Mm -hmm. A bill banning men in women's sports and school choice. In addition, he's also vetoed a bill requiring teachers to use biological pronouns for mentally sick kids. Doug Burgum isn't as much of a conservative as you would think. He's actually awful on the social issues. So where he's strong on the border and in energy policies, he's also been pretty good in creating a robust in-state economy in North Dakota. Socially, he sucks and doesn't give a shit about your kids. So, Mm. you know, and plus he's polling at anywhere between 5% and lower. So everybody could get rid of that pipe dream, just as much as the pipe dream that is people like Glenn Youngkin. He's not getting in this race. If he does, it'll be his political end. I think he's a little bit smarter than that and needs to worry about his own state. I said that Donald Trump and Gavin Newsom were the absolute stars of the second GOP primary debate. And for as much as we hate his guts, let's hear Gavin Newsom give a little commentary on what he saw as soon as the debate ended. Let's check it out.
2: Governor, what do you think is going to be the takeaway after this debate from the American people? I think it will be clear that Trump comes
12: out the dominant force after this debate. I mean, this is the XFL. This is J.D. Dang. I mean, honestly, I mean, this is maybe, maybe a vice presidential debate. These guys are getting lapped by Donald Trump. It's not even close. It's not even interesting. And I think what's most interesting to me is, do they recognize that? Or are they actually going to show up and run against the guy that's in the way of their prospects to be the nominee? It's a zero-sum game. It's a binary choice at the end of the day. It's not a ranked choice voting. So either these guys come after the front runner and distinguish themselves, or otherwise they're wasting everybody's time. And I say this with love and respect. There's a reason some of the advertising is being discounted for this debate. People don't even want to tune in because they know that
7: fundamentally.
4: Mm. Yeah. And, and let me tell you something. Whammy. When you listen to him talk about that, is that – incorrect commentary nope that's about as accurate as you can get and it's odd coming from him and and we can't stand the guy he's an absolute fucking psychopath but here's the thing they haven't figured out the way to do it yet but gavin newsom's running for president i don't buy anybody else who says that joe biden's fine he's not and if he winds up being on the ticket next fall it's that joe biden and his immediate handlers held the line and they couldn't get him to step down i don't think it's going to be michelle obama either we've talked about people on the Republican side who have been absolutely had their careers ended by the memers. When you get into the, the uncharted waters of big Mike, the political (laughs) candidate, what do you think, Noah?
3: (laughs) Big Mike, the political candidate.
4: You've seen penises online. You'll never see more penises than if Michelle Obama gets into a race. Oh my gosh. And that's just the fact of the matter. Getting ready to wrap here and jump in with George Santos. I've got one more good one and it's on donald trump newt gingrich was on fox news yesterday he was providing a little post-debate commentary and basically talking about the reality of this race right now let's check it out
12: it has a real chance to make a difference you know i was talking to our mutual friend uh, the pollster matt Towery, this afternoon and matt said to me based on what he saw last night this race is over Donald Trump will be the nominee. They might as well quit having the various debates cuz they don't work. They're not helping anybody. Uh and uh, I think that's where we are. I think Trump will be the nominee and the question now for everybody is do you want to see Joe Biden reelected or do you want to help Donald Trump? There's no middle ground here, I don't think. Uh because ah. you're either going to get Trump as president or you're going to get Biden and Biden's reelection would be a disaster for the country.
10: But I, I think you quoted on my podcast today someone saying Trump now after this last debate is the reality and defeating Biden is the necessity. So given those two yep. uh, you know, thoughts uh, that con- the conservatives, I, I imagine most of them see now, the Botox Queens. I mean, now, off. She, what? She are, are people going sta- to start points? dropping out and endorsing no. Trump or are they just going to hang out until Super Tuesday?
12: Well, I think I mean, I think the Republican National Committee should cancel the future debates and say, look, yep. uh, we recognize the objective fact that Trump will be the nominee. We want to work with him. And then the next big hurdle is a totally corrupt judicial system, which is trying every way it can uh, to, to, to deny the American people uh, the right to have the candidate that they're choosing. I mean, Trump in some of these races, some of these polls, Trump is like 43 points ahead of the next person.
4: 52 43 in points. primary poll.
12: Uh, he's going to be the nominee. And I think it tells you how terrified the left is that they're doing everything they can legally because they can't do anything politically. Uh, given the economy, given everything else that's going on, I think the odds are very high that Trump will win the general election, and they're going to do everything they can to stop that.
4: Yeah, it's the truth. And, and here's the thing. For everyone out there, ronald McDaniel... Steve Daines, Kevin McCarthy, the gatekeepers towards the nomination on the GOP side, you really have to start thinking about it. It's not just the polls, it's not just the aura and presence of Donald Trump. The ratings aren't lying either. You have political commentators from both sides of the aisle now. Listen, you have the radical, progressive, leftist governor from California and Newt Gingrich uncoordinately making the same statements. Yeah, it's wild. This is the time that we're in. And any moment that we continue to delay urging these candidates to get out, dissolve their war chests, directed at President Trump, and unify to defeat Joe Biden, we're only hurting ourselves. But alas, I think we're going to take the low road Mm -hmm. and Donald Trump's going to have to fight to the very bitter end. Good part is we get to watch him continue to dismantle the GOP establishment and the uniparty apparatus as a whole. We're going to continue to track this, obviously, as it's the biggest race in the history of the galaxy right now. We're getting ready to jump in with Congressman George Santos, but before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners.
3: This episode of the podcast is brought to you as always by Man Rubs, Rubs Barbecue Tools, Blow Torches, T-shirts, Coffee Cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. Can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code Steak15 for 15% off your order.
4: All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. He's a Congressman who represents New York 3, one of our favorites. We refer to him often online as the King. Mr. George Santos is here. Congressman, welcome back to the show.
1: Ah, thank you for having me, guys. Always good to be with you.
4: Well, we're nearing a deadline. It's not a normal one. We haven't seen one of these since, I think, 2019-ish. And uh, in about a day and a half, we have a uh, government shutdown looming. Do you want to give our listenership a little bit from your vantage point of the budget battle up on Capitol Hill? Look, you you know
1: what? Here's It's my first time being in this position, so it's very interesting to watch. I've always criticized it from the outside perspective, and now I get to criticize it from the inside. Note that I'm still criticizing, right? Uh, So if you think about it this way, we should have never gone on recess in, in August. I, I think that was a big missed opportunity from uh, our team here uh, in D.C. But let's get down to the brass tacks of this all. Shutdowns aren't great, right? I'm not going to sit here and say I'm, I'm pro-shutdown, but I'm also sick and tired of seeing Americans get raped here in D.C. So uh, it's, it's heartwarming to see that we got Three appropriation bills passed yesterday. Three, that's a start. We got another nine to go. We failed. The ag bill failed and whatnot, but look, it's progress. We're building on it. We just got to start doing this a lot earlier because it makes us look so, so inefficient for the American people. That's why Congress has such a low approval rating because we're in the business of screwing over the American people every single time. Nobody benefits from the, the stuff that's going on here at this point. So my, my, my question that I pose to every constituent that's been calling me is, what do you think I should do? And I, I, everybody has a different opinion. My opinion overall is we have failed. And now we're rushing. It, it's like you have that project deadline when you're in school. And then it's the night before the project deadline and you've had months to do it you're putting it and you're half-assing it together just so you get a grade. This isn't how we should govern
4: period. Yeah. When you see how they're starting to, uh, you know, get all crazy trying to patch together, CRs and taking things out. I mean, it comes down to, I think, two huge issues right now, even though there there still are nine appropriation bills to get passed. It's the amount of funding or just funding in general for Ukraine and then the amount of funding or lack thereof and, and parts of H.R. 2 that they want to take out of, you know, a continuing resolution that would keep the government open. Now, I know you were a staunch advocate of, of H.R. 2. You, you signed on to that. It was one of the best bills that got passed through the House this session, of course. But when you see the battle over, you know, a foreign border compared to the foreign invasion that's going on at our U.S. southern border, how does the American public just kind of how are they expected to take this in, Congressman, and think that, you know, something as simple as a slam dunk, Okay, if you want to fund whatever's going on in Ukraine, that's fine. But you have to go ahead and take care of the disaster that's going on there first that the Democrats just can't seem to agree with.
1: Here's the deal. You want to
4: fund Ukraine?
1: It's not fine. We've put over a $100 billion. So I'm done saying it's fine. I'm done saying it's okay. We have an unmitigated humanitarian crisis, self-inflicted by an ill-equipped administration that is more concerned in hiring people based on their gender, sexual orientation, and color of their skin instead of actually hiring qualified people. If Alejandro Mayorkas, his last name wasn't Mayorkas, and he had just a Bob Smith name. He would not be the 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 in the position he is today so the reality is this is just indicative of virtue signaling to the masses of i have a latino here i have a trans trans gay alien over there i have that this is this is what happens when your entire administration is based on affirmative action so no no more money to ukraine period it's over done ukraine is not the 51st state of the united states i am compassionate i I do not like Vladimir Putin. Do not call me a Putin apologist because I cannot stand that man. I know a lot of people are are, are trying to is like box us in into like, oh you're a Putin apologist. No, screw Vladimir Putin. Russia isn't the fifty first state. Quite frankly, I'm sick and fucking tired of that entire region being the drag on American taxpayers for the last two, three decades. Yeah. Enough is enough. It's not our problem. This is all happening because of Joe Biden and when he was vice president when he went to meddle in Ukraine. This is Obama's crisis. This is this was Bush's crisis. This was Clinton's crisis. In each administration in my lifetime, with the exception of Donald J. Trump, Russia has, has trespassed in a country in Eastern Europe. So enough, enough, enough. No more. Yes, I'm a Trumplicant. I'm proud of being a Trumplicant. The guy was about peace and prosperity across the entire world and and that's what i stand for enough america first i'm sick and tired of it we need to fix the border crisis my district is besieged right now with all sorts of issues i'm pretty sure you all saw recently on the news i'm not trying to flame the fires of rhetoric but here's something that happened recently you all probably heard of a bus accident in new york that occurred and it took the lives of two adults and it has several children in, in critical condition in the hospital. Yep. Those were all my constituents. Wow. Every last one of them were my constituents from the town of Farmingdale. Right? And the cause of the accident, an undocumented alien that is seeking asylum illegitimately, that is being harbored by the governor of the state of New York, who should have blood on her hands for allowing this to happen in New York State. This is Biden, Schumer's Kathy Hochul, Mayor Adams, all of their faults for being ineffective leaders and not doing their jobs to protect citizens which is the number 1 responsibility of government.
4: Oh, you make an excellent point. There. Sorry for ranting. <laughs> you got <laughs> you, you got to get it out there because that was going to be my next question. I wanted to keep it in the in the thread of the border, but take it up to your district. We know. Listen, the American public has seen what's going on at the Roosevelt Hotel. They've seen the assaults on uh, law enforcement and first responders from all the migrants who are tired of waiting to get all their free stuff. Just as early as this morning, one of your uh, you know congressional counterparts, Hakeem Jeffries, was on the news saying that their number one is no border crisis, and number two, there's no issue with the migrants and the illegal aliens inside of New York city right now. Now, when you see someone that not only sits parallel to your district, but right across the aisle from you in in the house of representatives saying that stuff, when clearly it's been documented all over the place, everyone from Eric Adams and Kathy Hochul, all the way down to the mainstream media are saying how much of a disaster it is in New York city right now due to the amount of illegal aliens that are there. How can he just go out and, and, and blast this rhetoric across the newswire?
1: Because Hakeem Jeffries is the master at gaslighting. He's gaslighting the American people and trying to, to tell them that this isn't happening when it's happening in plain sight. It's an unmitigated disaster. Hakeem Jeffries is ill-equipped, unqualified, and should never be Speaker of the House. And I will keep running for re-election to assure that I protect the seat to stop that dangerous man from becoming Speaker of the House i rather 10 Nancy Pelosi's than one Hawking Jeffries term. And I mean that, and everybody knows how I feel about the former speaker. But Hawking Jeffries has no business being speaker, no business being leadership. He's a, He is literally gaslighting the American people by saying that there is no crisis. When there's a crisis and the president himself is asking Congress for $140 million, and the mayor of New York City is saying it's going to cost New over $12 billion, and they are cutting programs and taking away programs from American citizens who live in poverty in the inner city, uh, in the inner city parts of New York, where they have really, really low standards in education, low quality uh, housing. NYSHA in New York City is an embarrassment. And Hakeem Jeffries wants to turn around and say that there's no crisis. Shame on him. He should resign in disgrace for lying to the American people and gaslighting them on national television like he did this morning.
4: Yeah, he should start unloading a couple of those buses at his house and see just how fast he changes his tune. I think that. I'd love to see them
1: pitch a tent right across at his house in Brooklyn. (laughs) I'll go help build it for him.
4: Congressman, last thing I want to touch with you on today, we know it's a busy day up on Capitol Hill. We're so appreciative that you're here with us. Uh, Listen, there's going to be some changes in the Senate next year, both on the Republican and Democrat side. Obviously, everybody's heard the news breaking today that Senator Feinstein out of California passed away last night. And, uh, you know, you see everybody kind of weighing the totality of her service to the country, uh, you know, throughout the media. But I think one more that's a little bit directed at you. We're going to see Senator Mitt Romney from Utah stepping down and not running for reelection next year, and uh, we know that you guys have kind of a special relationship and are very intimate in in your guys' interactions when you know dealing with each other up on the hill. I just wanted to see if you could press with a little commentary on how sad you might be to see uh, you know Senator Mittens going.
1: Uh, au revoir, Pierre. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I gotta say, look. It really does bring uh, joy to my life to see that spineless, nonsensical idiot resign. Uh, He's not a Republican. He hasn't been a Republican in years. I campaigned for him in 2012 in the middle of New York City. But as I like to say, campaigning for a Republican in New York City is putting your life at risk. I did that in 2012. (laughs) For what? For this? Absolutely not. And I will say this. I have more respect. And honor and I'm proud to say that Senator Feinstein served this country for 30 years with honor and integrity and I can assure and you know say that she did it and she meant what she did and she thought she served this country the best way she could I have far more respect for Senator Feinstein than I'll ever have for Pierre Delecto also known as uh, the <laughs> Senator Mitt Romney uh, or I think we all know him better as Pierre Delecto that's just the reality it's a great loss I, I send my condolences out to the Feinstein family it, it, you know but may 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 she rest in peace she she deserves our respect we can all be adversaries politically but we should respect each other as human and i think she deserved that respect and she earned it she was a fierce fighter for what she believed in and you know pierre d'electo just isn't that's why i've been very very paying close attention to that senate race and i think mayor trent staggs out of utah has a really good shot at taking this one, and I encourage you to bring him on the show.
4: Oh, he's going to be on with us in October. We're going to start ramping up our uh, primary election season as you partook in before you uh, went up to Capitol Hill last year. And uh, just like then, we're going to say it now. We're excited that you uh, joined us today. We're going to be looking forward to having you back on the show again next month. Congressman, we wish you the best at the end of this budget battle. Obviously, we're going to be live linking your congressional website in the show description today. But for anyone that's not following you on social media, where can they check you out?
1: They can check me at Rep George Santos on all sorts of social medias. You got out there. I think I'm on everything except I uh, think Truth. We're still waiting. <laughs> Our code, <laughs> but, uh, but we're everywhere else uh, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Facebook, uh, Instagram. I think even that thread from Instagram. We're everywhere. We're, look, reach out. I love to talk to folks. I love coming on your show because it's really the best way to communicate. With people at a more personal level, it's a laid-back environment. You guys do a great job at putting the content together. That's why I'm always coming back, and I I, I love the invite. Keep them coming.
4: Before we cut, Congressman, you'll be saying uh, hello to Vishalicious Burra for us today as well.
1: <laughs> uh, yes, I will, Roan. And I know I owe you. I owe you him on your show. Well, we're working on
4: that. Hey, we'll we'll try to get him in October. This is the congressman who's fighting and representing New York 3, Mr. George Santos. Thanks for joining us on the
9: show. Have a great weekend. Thank you, Ron. Appreciate you. Joe Biden also lied to the American people about his family making money in China. He continued to lie about it, even when the House Oversight Committee uncovered bank wires, revealing how the Bidens received millions from Chinese companies with significant ties to Chinese intelligence and the Chinese Communist Party. Just this week, we uncovered two additional wires sent to Hunter Biden that originated in Beijing from Chinese nationals. This happened when Joe Biden was running for president of the United States, and Joe Biden's home is listed as the beneficiary address.
4: All right, jumping back into it now, coming out with Congressman George Santos. Awesome staying down with him. He's pretty spicy today.
3: Ooh, extra spicy.
4: Always love it when he can come and join us on the show as well. We gave you guys a trio of congressmen and women to get things started. We've still got the former chief of staff to Capitol Hill who's going to give us some great commentary and everything that's going on up there today as well. End of the segment today. That's Jim Path will be joining us. So getting it back into the real news, the Biden impeachment inquiry kicked off yesterday. Couldn't have come at a worse time. Government's getting ready to be shut down. And basically this was going to be everyone who was on the committee is going to have their five minutes of fame to either... Continue the narrative that Joe Biden ran a pay-for-play operation with his son using the office of him as a senator, then as a vice president, to pad the bank accounts of himself and his family. You're also going to have some of the most radical, progressive douchebags on the left who are seated on this committee as well going out there and just absolutely just completely trying to prove to everyone how much they fucking hate you and don't care. And, And that's just the fact of the matter. I've picked the best retard of the day to play a clip a little bit later on, but we're going to hear some of the opening statements. Remember this committee leadership, it's being chaired by Jamie Comer. Jim Jordan is the co-chair Jason Smith on ways and means is the co-chair as well. And the ranking Democrat member is Jamie Raskin. So you can only tell just how awful this was going to be. Jim Jordan was up next as part of opening statements. And remember there was nothing in this committee meeting yesterday That was supposed to be part of the investigative process. This was everybody's pretty much opening statements. They also had a a panel of um, air quoting now experts, which included Fox News contributor and attorney Jonathan Turley, who laid out some items that we'll go through in just a minute. But first, let's hear co-chairman Jordan talk about Joe Biden and give some details of the Biden crime
2: family. And this is a tale as old as time. Politician takes action that makes money for his family, and then he tries to conceal it. Never forget four fundamental facts. Hunter Biden gets put on the board of Burisma. Yep. Gets paid a lot of money. Hunter Biden's not qualified, fact number two, to sit on the board. Not my words, his words. He said he got on the board because of the brand, because of the name. Fact number three, the executives at Burisma ask Hunter Biden to weigh in and help them with the pressure they are under from the prosecutor in Ukraine. Fact number four, Joe Biden goes to Ukraine on December 9th, 2015, gives the speech attacking the prosecutor that starts the process of getting that guy fired. Those facts, by the way, are consistent with what the confidential human source told the FBI and the FBI recorded in the 1023 form, the same form that the Justice Department didn't want to let this committee see.
4: So there's that. Remember, you know, this this. Impeachment Inquiry Committee is also alleging that there's a lot of whistleblowers. There are international contacts and sources that they're still working through. You know, they're also talking about the delegitimacy of special counsel David Weiss and how he's been compromised, refusing to prosecute Hunter Biden, allowing the statute of limitations on a lot of the crimes he committed to fall off over the course of years of investigation, and then stonewalling special agents From both the doj and irs from moving on anything especially in the states where david weiss had the authority to recommend to the attorney general that they make some moves on and charge hunter biden in places like california and washington dc so you know they're just kind of laying the groundwork here and it's a formality with these committees on what it's all about but then you have people from the left you have congressmen and women on the democrat side from you know places like texas and pennsylvania who are saying We'd like to uh, add Devin Archer's testimony. That's Hunter Biden's former business partner that has provided uh, the committee with a lot of receipts. In one instance of one transaction where he said Joe Biden or Hunter Biden did not make money off of, let's just say, influence peddling, James Comer tried to slap that down. He said, I will take the entire Devin Archer testimony. I will add it to the congressional record. And by the end, he's like, do you want me to add it to the record for a third time? Do you want me to add it to a record to the fifth time? Mm hmm And it's one of those things where they just kept trying to take one sentence out of an enormous investigation and say, because of this sentence, the investigation should not move forward. Again, I do want to remind everybody also, when you talk about the impeachments of Donald Trump, there was no impeachment inquiry. There was an allegation, there was a brief lull, and then there were articles of impeachment presented at the behest of Nancy Pelosi. Donald Trump was never given due process. Donald Trump was never given a fair trial. And in both cases, he was acquitted. And I just think that, you know, we've reached a standard right now to where the Democrats are so close to gaining back power in the House that they feel entitled to act like they're the majority. And, and that's what we saw a lot of yesterday. We'll hear that in a second. Ways and Mean Committee Chairman Jason Smith, who's also a co-chair with Jim Jordan under Jamie Comer on this panel, talked about some of the intricacies of... Phone calls, meetings, dinners, etc. In his opening statement, let's hear him.
10: Yesterday, the Ways and Means Committee released new documents showing President Biden was not just aware of his son's business dealings, but he was connected to them. In a newly released message to a Chinese business executive, Hunter Biden mentions preserving the "quote keys to my family's only asset." That asset, Joe Biden. New evidence released in response to questions raised by members of the committee on both sides when Gary Shapley and Joseph Ziegler, the two IRS whistleblowers, testified in July paints a disturbing picture of a revolving door between Joe Biden's office and Hunter Biden's business partners. According to a worksheet provided by IRS whistleblower Ziegler, then-Vice President Biden's April 2014 official visit to Ukraine occurred only days after a series of White House meetings with Hunter Biden and his business associates regarding Ukraine. Shortly after Joe Biden returned stateside, the Ukrainian company Burisma announced Hunter Biden's appointment to its board. New evidence provided shows Hunter Biden using his father's position to gain favor with billionaire Miguel Aleman, including having Joe Biden host them ...at the White House in February of 2014... ...at the Vice President's residence alongside Mexican billionaire Carlos Slim... ...in November of 2015... ...and then in 2016 using Air Force Two Hmm. to shuttle Hunter Biden and his business associate to Mexico City. Whether it was lunches, phone calls, White House meetings, or official foreign trips... Hunter Biden cashed in by arranging access to Joe Biden, the family brand. The Biden family and their associates received millions in payments from foreign sources, including from Russia, China, Ukraine, Romania, in one email. Hunter Biden even bragged that he cut a deal for 10 million from just one company for quote introductions alone. Mm. And yet the DOJ wanted to keep the spotlight as far from Joe Biden as possible. One of the items we released yesterday was an IRS interview with James Biden, the president's brother, in September of 2022. The agency was barred in the interview from asking him about Joe Biden and about whether Joe Biden was involved in Hunter Biden's deal with a Chinese energy company. It's not weird. And when Hunter Biden had his tax liability of over $2 million mysteriously paid for by a Democrat Party donor named Kevin Morris, Mm. who he barely knew, something IRS investigators saw as a possible campaign finance violation, Assistant U.S. Attorney Leslie Wolf said she did not want any of the agents to look into the allegation. Behind, uh, on the board are notes Agent Shapley took from that meeting. He notes that Wolf told investigators that she was not, quote, personally interested in pursuing it. This is the same attorney, Wolf, who in an email we released yesterday responded to IRS investigators seeking approval for a search warrant with, quote, there should be nothing about political figure one in here. That being a reference by definition of Joe Biden. The Biden family sold access to Joe Biden's power, and the Biden Justice Department protected the Biden brand. We must continue
4: to follow the facts. And those are the facts. No, do you think it's weird when an IRS special agent sits down with the brother of Joe Biden, but the Department of Justice forbades them from mentioning, did Joe Biden or Hunter Biden make any money off of international business dealings by selling influence? Does that come off as kind of a red flag to you? Uh... I mean, it's a flag. I'm not sure what color it is. Might be a pride flag, maybe a trans flag. (laughs) Let's just go with the red flag.
3: I like those better. I mean... It's, It's sketchy. It's really sketchy.
4: And for the Democrats who went and grandstanded yesterday on the fact that there's no there there, it's just absolutely ridiculous to even think that you... Donald Trump would have been in jail.
3: Well, they... They're going on the basis of they can say whatever the fuck they want because Correct. there's plenty of people who are being spoon-fed this media, and it doesn't matter what the truth is. There's people have no idea. Like There's people that go out and look for information. There's people that listen to podcasts like ours, and then there's people that – I hate to say it again and again – are driving alone in their car with a mask on right now.
4: Yeah, I mean, Donald Trump called uh, Representative Crockett from Texas. He essentially called her a retard yesterday for saying, you know, if we talked about all of Donald Trump's crimes in a Joe Biden impeachment inquiry, we'd be able to do a drinking game about it. You had Nancy Mace, who shot back at Rashida Tlaib, who used her five minutes to, to talk about, you know, pronouns and climate change and all the unimportant stuff uh that there's no problem on the southern border when nancy mace pointed out that rashida Tlaib ran on the platform of and i'm quoting now impeaching that motherfucker I'm oh. referencing donald trump it sounds like she went to the uh Letitia tish peekaboo james school of campaigning for office yeah I did say I'd saved the crown jewels of retards and the testimony that they provided yesterday. You never guess who was sitting on this committee as well, Noah. AOC.
3: I'd like my check, please.
4: Whose boyfriend was down on the U.S. southern border yesterday getting a tour for the first time. Internet boyfriend. Elon Musk. Oh, Did you you see any of that?
3: No, I didn't see that one.
4: He was actually pretty speechless in regards to the situation down there. Elon Musk has actually called for in the last 24 hours a complete and total border wall and said that we need to be heavily scrutinizing anybody that comes in that claims asylum because he feels that an overwhelming majority of the cases are fake. Really? He put on his cowboy hat and got a selfie stick and went down there and live streamed it on X, formerly Twitter.
3: Well, he's not wrong. No. He's actually pretty much on target.
4: Yeah. We also had, uh, you know, we talked about Gavin Newsom in the last segment. He's running. Isn't it weird that Gavin Newsom seems to be running what somewhat hypothesized as a book tour where you're not running for president? Where have we seen this before? Isn't that
3: what old fucking Meatball was doing?
4: Mm. And then just one day he decided he was running.
3: All of a sudden, here I am.
4: You know, before we get to the aoc clip i did promise our listenership that i would read the donald trump truth social post in regards (laughs) to his commentary on the presidential primary you ready for this one yeah let's do it we got some new nicknames recently unveiled i'm up 56 points so the debates would seem to be a complete waste of time i'm also up 10 points on crooked joe what is the rnc doing They should be fighting against election interference and the Pennsylvania voter registration scam. You've heard about that, Noah, right? The DMV now automatically registers anyone who goes in for a driver's license.
3: Anyone? Anyone. To vote? Yes. Without, like, a checkbox on, are you a citizen?
4: I said anyone. Fantastic. That's
3: not good. Mm. But that explains a lot of things that are going on right
4: now. Sounds like election interference to me.
3: Sounds like... It's going to get dismissed based on no standing
4: reading on the debate should be ended bad for the Republican party. Instead, I was in Michigan last night with the auto workers and others watch the debate equals report card. You ready for this one? Doug Burgum did a very good job, solid and smart. This is where it gets spicy. Sloppy, (laughs) (laughs) sloppy. Chris Christie was a disaster and a Trump deranged lunatic. Nikki, new nickname. Birdbrain Haley was exposed for her caustic disloyalty and lies about the Republican Party and me. Nice. Doesn't have what it takes, never did. Lion Mike Pence has lost a lot of energy. Very flat, needs me badly.
3: More flat than he was? Jeez, that's rough.
4: Actually, it's quite sad to watch, but he'll get better. Too much J6. Tim Scott stepped it up. Wonderful guy. Ready for this one? I'm looking forward to getting his endorsement. Nah. <laughs> Vivek said I was a great president. Thank you. Good job. Ron DeSanctimonius had a bad night. He can feel the end is near. Dropping like a rock.
3: <laughs>
4: All those videos
3: of DeSantis like just making the awkward like bobblehead borderline. Stunt, yeah. Just like the, the
4: You know what the videos were from the debate? Everybody kept taking videos of Ron DeSantis standing on his tippy toes the whole night. And we're just there was like minute long videos over and over and over again of him standing on his tippy toes. And then during the commercial breaks, he would have to go and get powdered up because he was sweating profusely precisely. sweating. It was awful.
3: All those videos of him just like making uncomfortable grimaces and like borderline doing like the Cokehead fucking jaw thing.
4: He did the weird Coke head smile again after one of his It's so weird. It is. But getting back to this. And before we get to the AOC clip, guys, wherever you're listening to the show today, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, subscribe to the show, follow it, rate us five stars, leave a review, helps out the show big time. In addition, social media, Twitter, her True Social, and Instagram. Find our accounts, follow them, and hit the notification bell. All right, we've delayed long enough. Here it is, Congresswoman Bartender. She wants to know whose card we're using and who's the round on. Sandy Ocasio-Cortez, showing just how scared the Democrat Party is of this impeachment inquiry. Let's hear it.
11: Impeachment inquiry, any impeachment inquiry, regardless of party, is an extremely serious matter. Professor Gerhardt, serious. in the impeachment inquiry under, um, uh, into, into President Clinton, your were there key fact witnesses that were presented in, during those proceedings?
4: Yeah, there was a girl who was given mm-hmm. blowjobs in the, in the Oval House. Office.
11: Mm-hmm. In the Senate, were there any? There were. There were in the Senate. Now, in the impeachment, uh, in in the impeachment investigations with, uh, with president, with respect to President Trump, were there key material fact witnesses in the House?
12: Yes, ma'am. Oh, there There were were whistleblowers who made stories. Are there any
11: key material fact witnesses here today? No, ma'am. None. And so we are wasting our time. When we talk about a threshold of an impeachment inquiry, was there a House floor vote that had a majority of members of Congress that opened an impeachment inquiry into President Clinton? There was. There was. Was there a full House floor vote uh, opening an impeachment inquiry into President Trump?
12: In 2019.
11: Is there one here for this one?
12: Not for this one.
11: There is not one here for this one. This is an embarrassment. An embarrassment to the time and people oh, 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 of this country, and I would ask that the chair and I would ask that this committee elevate to the promise of our duties here, and and comport ourselves with the consistency and practice that is required of our seats and our duty and our She's our oath again. to our to our responsibilities you here. Okay? And with that, I
3: yield back. Thank you.
4: Sure. You should yield back to working in a bar. It's probably,
3: <laughs> you know. I lobbed it you smacked the shit out of it
4: there were so many of the other democrats who were just yelling and screaming you notice how the guy pointed out that the only one that donald trump was able to secure a floor vote on in regards to impeachment was in 2019 and uh in the case of the january 6th one he was not mm-hmm. because everybody knew it was bullshit and the republicans only have like a seven seat margin right now in the house I think there's two or three Congress people out, according to Andy Biggs, who was on the show with us the other day. So it's not like we're going to get 160, 170 Democrats that say, oh, yeah, let's impeach Joe Biden. Republicans are going to have to push this one up the hill and they're going to have to get the receipts and they're going to have to prove to the American public beyond the shadow of a doubt that at some point, Joe Biden himself not only benefited from the crimes that happened, but committed them himself. That's the there there. So I don't want anybody to be getting their hopes up. There are a lot of receipts of shady shit that went down with Joe Biden and his entire family for like the last 20 or 30 years. A lot of this is going to be focused on the last 10 to 12, but unless Joe Biden himself pseudonyms for emails and handles like that burner phones, you're never going to be able to tie it to Joe Biden stroking the keys, Joe Biden dialing the phone numbers. You are going to have to find exact instances where witnesses corroborate a story which produces a physical receipt into a bank account and sets up a timeline that can guarantee Joe Biden at least makes it to a vote to get impeached. And that's it. Mm-hmm. And we're running up against the 2024 presidential election cycle now. One thing we haven't seen that we'd like to see is some more subpoenas going out, whether Merrick Garland or Akeem Jeffries or Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer wanted it or not. And in our last audio clip of the day before we jump in with former Capitol Hill Chief of Staff Jim Paff. Jamie Colburn ended the hearing yesterday with this.
9: The witnesses today have all identified the evidence the committee has uncovered as deserving further inquiry. And that is what this committee will do, no matter where that evidence leads. I want to thank the witnesses for their testimony today. It confirms the evidence compiled by this committee justifies the investigation of Joe Biden's role in his family's international business schemes and justifies the next step. Of this investigation. One of those steps is gaining insight into where the Biden's foreign money ended up for what purposes. Therefore, today I will subpoena the bank records of Hunter Biden, James Biden, and their affiliated companies. So there it is. Mm-hmm.
4: And you see the way Jamie Comer says it, we've been able to confirm beyond a shadow of a doubt that Joe Biden played a role. And now we are going to start to subpoena the appropriate entities. This isn't for Hunter Biden. It's for his bank records and stuff like that. And James Biden, Joe Biden's brother, who we know is, uh, we heard really good at building track homes in Iraq. Ooh, yeah. And see where the money trail leads. But again, I just want to remind everybody, unless we are going to physically find the instance, the evidence, the corroborating witnesses and the receipts that Joe Biden himself committed a crime, we are not going to get a vote that passes the impeachment threshold because then it would be like, you're only not voting for this because you don't want to. Mm -hmm. And anything else is, is, you know, kind of unsubstantiated rumor and hearsay. So are we disagreeing with the fact that Hunter Biden's one of the biggest scumbags to ever walk the face of the earth? Joe Biden's a huge fucking scumbag too, and so is the whole rest of his family. He's got nine-year-old grandkids that are getting millions of dollars to put into trust funds that are being funneled through fake LLCs and shell companies that are coming from international business entities that just so happens that Joe Biden randomly meets this person and then has an official meeting with them or takes his son on a plane to an official meeting in that person's country, and then American foreign policy suddenly dictates billions of dollars of aid or billions of dollars of assistance going to these places. And then little bits, hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars are getting, you know, just sent to Joe Biden and Hunter Biden and James Biden and all of Joe Biden's grandkids. Maybe not Navy, but we'll have to see. (laughs) And that's kind of where we're at in this. You know, it's been a busy week, but it's been a good week. I still feel as though we're back. And uh, we're heading into the weekend right now. Donald Trump's going to be speaking at two different events in Southern California today, believe it or not. He's up at Huntington Beach right now. And uh, if anything pertinent comes out of that, we'll be looking at it on our Tuesday edition of the show. Back on normal schedule next week. We're going to wrap right now with former Congressional Chief of Staff Jim Paff. But before we do that, one more check-in with one of our partners. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is hand-picked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. The cigars are hand-rolled each three years. You in a promo code STAKE here, you're gonna get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Friday edition of the Stake for Records podcast. He's the political consultant, space's host, and former chief of staff at Capitol Hill. Always loving Mr. Jim Paff could join us on the show. Jim, thanks for coming back. Hey, thanks for having me,
13: guys. Glad to be here.
4: Well, it's been a busy week up on Capitol Hill. It's been a busy week for the country in general. I do want to start off taking us back a little bit from the, I'm going to call it an absolute shit show or dumpster fire. That's my pronouns on it. The second GOP debate that went down on Wednesday uh, not much major fallout, if you want to talk about polls uh, regarding it afterwards. But there were definitely some, I guess you could call it, second tier fireworks going on throughout the course of the debate. I know you watch this very closely, Jim, and are always dialed into all the stuff, especially in the presidential race. Just, just kind of getting some commentary on it. What did you think? And uh, what's the fallout from it right now? Well,
13: one thing that is happening is even though uh, you know Ron DeSantis will say some things that seem fine and whatever i mean to you know to the average viewer that doesn't know any better um he's not the story on the back end of this uh i got a lot more uh feedback from people who were again somewhat impressed with Vivek ramaswamy i don't think he's going anywhere either and then you got fox news out there Putting the liberal twist on questions. I mean, they're they're starting to sound like uh, NBC News. It's 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 really interesting where we are in this stage of Republican politics because you've got a bunch of guys and and gals that think they really have a chance at this nomination when they have none. Uh, you know, they're going to set up something for the future, maybe. But you're also seeing a real adjustment in uh, conservative leaning news and Fox News is not what it used to be. I thought that was one of that was maybe for me, at least the, the biggest story out of the debate, because none of the candidates are much of a story at all.
4: No, they certainly aren't. And I mean, it was a lot of bickering. Nobody really got the chance to uh, you know get their points out there. There were, like you said, some from Ron DeSantis, some from Vivek. I think uh, Tim Scott was just absent again. And it seemed like every time he opened his mouth, everybody jumped down his throat. Uh, you know, It was one of those things where they don't see him as kind of a factor because of self-induced issues that he's had in this race and the way he's conducted himself throughout the campaign. So anytime he tries to interject himself into the conversation, I think everybody's plan is just to shut him down. Um, You know, Nikki Haley kind of came off like uh, she wanted to kind of re-harness the strong posture she might have had in the first debate but at the end of the day i see a lot of people just saying she came off as a complete bitch and uh, i don't really disagree with that commentary i mean when you talk about the uh, nbc spin on the fox news commentators you've got dana perino hours before the debate introducing Hillary Clinton at at some donor event and saying, you know, she's spectacular and fantastic and hugging her. And then you've got Calderon over from Univision, who's never Trumper, uh, you know, doesn't necessarily like Republicans in general. And then every question she asked just seemed like it was baited with some liberal garbage on the end of it. So it seemed like a recipe for disaster. Most people that have provided commentary in the fallout of it kind of agree with us. And it seems like you're kind of on the same page.
13: Yeah, listen, there is nothing about that debate that is going to be memorable to anyone in uh, past, maybe the weekend, because there's no there's nothing of interest going on. You know, uh, Ron DeSantis, who actually at the beginning at the end of last year, beginning of this year, actually had a chance to make some noise in the GOP primary totally messed up his opportunity whatever that may have been and and i think the way it's playing out may prove that even if he had high poll numbers it was going the same direction he he's run a crappy campaign no one cares at all about this debate nikki haley by the way has made herself a caricature of herself it's yep. it's absolutely crazy by the way i even though i don't always agree with him policy-wise i happen to know tim scott and i think he's a nice guy we used to fly on the plane up to dc together quite a bit and i i have a rapport with him but you're right he he he's not doing anything to break through this and and i don't know that he has much, much of a message to do so anyway right now what Republican primary voters are looking at is how will Donald Trump make it through this barricade of problems that Democrats keep trying to throw up against him and Joe Biden in particular, in my opinion, illegally by misusing our justice system.
4: Yeah, that's that's it right there. I mean, you want to talk about the numbers on the fallout first polls are out today. Following debate, there was one from five thirty eight that came out this morning shows Donald Trump still beating Joe Biden in a head-to-head matchup, 44 to 41%. And then the Republican primary, uh, Donald Trump at 62%, is nearest challenger, Ron DeSantis at 10, Ramaswamy at 7, Haley at 6, Scott 3, Pence 3, everybody else not even registering. So, you know, you have all these people out there saying, how how could Donald Trump avoid these debates? It's not like it's hurting him anywhere, especially in the polls that are coming out. Most of them are left leaning and don't really want to see him win the nomination. But at the end of the day, you can only assume that these numbers might even be higher than that based off of how much of a lead he has at this point.
13: You know, one way to evaluate what's going on with Donald Trump, and I think this is an important thing to point out because you're going to hear discussion about this issue moving forward. People will make the case, well, look at Donald Trump's negative numbers compared to Joe Biden's numbers. Well, the, you know, and they both have pretty high negatives in, in public polls. But, but here's what's really interesting. Um, I do not believe that negativity number always matters that much. It, it plays some role in how people will vote in the fall of a general election for president. But It's not a deciding factor. Americans don't mind people being aggressive for what they perceive to be good reasons. And and that can work both ways. It depends on what the American public's perception is. But then the other side of this argument is that people are more and more upset, particularly independent voters, even when we look at some polls into the African-American community. You've got people who are Latently or directly stating that they are concerned about the weaponization of government against one of our our presidential candidates that's going to accrue to Donald Trump's benefit and one other thing you mentioned this poll uh, by 538 showing uh, Trump up 44 to 41 on Joe Biden. That ABC News poll that everyone said was an outlier, and and in a way it kind of was. It showed Donald Trump up at 10 points. Like I always tell people, those outliers still tell you something. And this 538 poll shows that that wasn't as much of an outlier as you think, because they've been running neck and neck on those national polls, or sometimes Joe Biden slightly up. Now he's down three points. Margin of error, I grant, in that poll. I think that there's still a trend moving greatly in Donald Trump's favor for 2024.
4: Yeah, no, and I made that exact point on the show and and trying to debunk, like you said, the narrative that the ABC WAPO poll was an outlier, because when you look at it, sometimes they're tied, Biden up one, Trump up one, up three, up five. You would assume that if Trump's trending in that direction, especially now with all the bad stuff going on in the country, Joe Biden, you know, not really, uh, running a re-election campaign, he just seems to be going from event to event. It would make sense that, you know, maybe not as high as 10 points, but definitely trending in that direction. I, th- I think that we're all onto something here, and uh, we, we've definitely got our finger on the pulse of it. Jim, one of the things I want to talk to you about, it's obviously extremely critical to today. You know, we're we're a day and a half essentially away from the federal government shutting down. Uh, You know, we've had a bunch of congressmen and women come on the show today, and they've talked about all the stuff. The appropriations bills, three to four, are going to wind up getting passed at this point by the end of the day. Today, you also have the fact that just about everyone who's come on our show in the last couple weeks, granted, they're all Republican, a majority of them are in the Freedom Caucus, a couple Chaos Caucus members as well, you know, stating that this falls squarely on the show. Shoulders of Kevin McCarthy and, and the fact that he's pandered to the left for the last eight months instead of working on the things that he promised last January. In addition to that, gave Congress like a, a, a six week break, you know, just just last month. And, and it's really pissed off a lot of people. And that's where you're getting these hardline line on the CR. You've been up on the hill for a long time. You know how the process works. You've seen these negotiations first person at the highest level what do you think is your evaluation of what's going on right now? And how do we get to a point to where we can get on the same page in some context?
13: Well, I was right in the middle of that 2013 shutdown, which literally had no negative effect on the country at all. And in fact, you'll hear a lot of Republicans saying, well, we can't do this again because, you know, we lost so badly after 2013. No, Republicans gained seats in the 2014 elections thereafter. So just to Take that part out. But let's look at uh, how things work right now, presently in Washington, D.C. First of all, we have not gone through all 12 appropriations bills, which the the budget control, just to remind people, the Budget Control Act of 1974 tells, uh, Congress tells itself to pass 12 appropriations bills by the deadline, which is September 30th, the end of the fiscal year. So we haven't done that since 1997. And what leaders in D.C. figured out is that you can limit the number of people that touch these this, these bills to make sure that all their buddies uh, get paid, all the buddies that give them, you know, lobbyists that give them money, or uh, and, and corporations or organizations, people who make the most money off of this. And we've got a real corporatism that has developed is much worse than it ever is, has existed in this country uh, right now. So that six week break that was by design. To force, try to force the hand of House Freedom Caucus members and other, you know, like you say, Chaos Caucus members. It hasn't forced their hand, which is good. But see, they do that because they want to crunch everything into September where you only are there for two, two and a half weeks. It's crazy. So they thought they could get by with it. They will partially because it, it, we're not going to get to the conclusion that I would like to get to, but we've made a lot of progress nonetheless. So what's happening right now is, uh, uh, McCarthy is not only catering to the left, he's catering to the moderates, and particularly by Tom Cole, whose name you're not going to hear much. But he's the guy that heads up all the moderate Main Street idiots They're there and they're all idiots. They just want to be able to, you know, enjoy the position they have and get the the checks that they want to get into their coffers and all the stupid other crap that seems to matter to them. They're the real problem because they could easily come in line with pulling back all spending to pre-COVID levels, which is way too high in my opinion. But it's a lot lower on the discretionary end than we have right now. So uh the the game is played to force the hand of those Who would cause chaos, but my urging with them and they're doing it and I'm, I feel good with them with how they're doing it is that all the house freedom caucus and chaos people keep the chaos going because that's the only way in the present way of doing business in DC that you can get anything done they plan the schedule leadership does to make it almost impossible not to do a cr or an omnibus they love crs and omnibuses because all their lobbyist buddies come into the speaker's office with the minority leader and in the senate the the senate majority and minority leader they're the ones that write the bills and maybe a few of the appropriators and that's it And they love that because they have control over the process. They feel they need to have control to get certain things done. But it's horrible for the American people. When I went through 2013, just to go long here, we had a 17.6 trillion dollar debt by the way it was we it was going to be our national debt was going to be paid down by 2013 according to 2000 and 2001 office of management and Bud- management and budget estimates but we were at 17.6 trillion in 2013 we're at 33 trillion now we are are we were paying in, t- in back then 909 billion dollars in interest payments we're going to go well past 1.2 1.3 trillion dollars because we're going to have to refinance the debt it's so out of control what we're doing in washington dc i firmly stand with those trying to cause chaos because it's the only way to get any movement at all
4: yeah it it is and you know when you talk about you've seen all the stuff that matt gates been kind of exposing over the last couple weeks even the fact that he's been Budding with some of his, uh, you know, most reliable congressional counterparts like Byron Donalds. You've had, you know, uh, Eli Crane pointing out a bunch of stuff. I mean, uh, Congresswoman Sparks was on the show for the first time today, and I believe she said that she told Kevin McCarthy that he could take the CR and wipe his ass with it uh, <laughs> when he when he was trying to whip her earlier right. this week because she just said, you know, it's out of control, and, and nobody wants to take responsibility for it. And if they want to fund certain things, I'm just going to throw it out there, like Ukraine, and not fund other things like the border. Or appropriately then we're at an impasse and it seems like tomorrow at midnight we'll be at an even bigger one when the government gets shut down Jim, last thing I wanted to touch with you on, we're going to see a big change in the House and Senate next year. I think the battle for the House of Representatives is going to be very close again in the 2024 presidential election cycle. But I also think the Democrats have a really hard and almost indefensible map when it comes to the Senate, uh, with all the seats that they have up in this upcoming cycle. When you see the the changing flow of politics and and some of the ways that Republicans can go and campaign on this, that we won't run into problems like that if we can take back the Senate and pad it with some numbers – do you, do you see it favorably uh, for Republicans at this point right now, or, or do you see the Senate's going to be just as big as a battle as the House is set to be?
13: Yeah, all things being equal, I definitely see Republicans actually doing well in the House and the Senate. Uh, that said. What's making it unequal? You know, my friend Peter Schweitzer had uh, Robert Epstein on his uh, drill down podcast recently. And Robert Epstein, who's a Democrat and was a Biden and a Hillary supporter, is very concerned about what Google and other companies are doing to massage the way people think through what's happening in the news that they read. And he can account for the movement of hundreds of thousands, nay, millions of votes because Google controls things. It's great to have Twitter, and you know how involved I am in X spaces, sure. and and I appreciate what Elon Musk is doing there, and I think it's it's a lot of freedom, but you still have Google and Facebook and these guys that are working very hard to make it very hard to get political discussion out in the open. So that's the, really the only outlier, and I don't know the effect of it yet, but that if that factor is not bad i think republicans have a big win i actually think there's still a chance and we still don't know a lot of of everything just yet but i think there's still a chance and i'm still predicting in my mind that donald trump has a decisive win over joe biden and frankly if joe biden gets out of the race others are saying it's going to be more difficult for trump no i think that would be a landslide it wouldn't matter what democrat they brought up i believe donald trump would have a landslide against anybody else but i think he's going to have a significant win against Joe Biden. And that's going to draw up a lot of these congressional races, which always happens in presidential elections.
4: Yeah, we won't see as many split tickets as we did in the midterms, because obviously, you know, Donald Trump will be at the top of the ticket and he'll be obviously campaigning in these states and in areas for representatives and and, and potential senators that are going to uh, be joining him and hopefully helping make America great again. Jim, this was awesome sitting down with you today. Always is great when you come and join us on the show. We love the commentary that you provide. We're going to live link your website and the podcast in the show description today, direct people to your Twitter spaces as well. But for anyone that's not following you on social media, where can they check you out?
13: Everybody should go to locategym.com. I have links there to everything that I'm doing and including my substack and other things. So locatejym.com.
4: Always doing fantastic work. I love when I could jump in the Twitter spaces with you as well. This is a political consultant, former chief of staff at Capitol Hill, Mr. Jim Paff. Thanks for joining us on this Friday edition of the show and have a great weekend.
13: Great to be with you guys.
4: Busy week, but I think we nailed it, Noah. Nailed it. Got two quick flash polls for you, real quick. You tell me what you think. Mm-hmm. Government shutting down tomorrow night? Yep. Shut it down. Is Matt Gates going to pull the trigger and motion to vacate Kevin McCarthy a speaker? Yep. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and want to hear the now almost 280 other editions of the show, you better be following us across every downloadable podcasting platform. That's on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Google Podcasts. Find the show, follow it, download it, rate it, review it. All the great things. And then on social media, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast podcast accounts, follow us, and hit the notification bell. We want to thank all of our great guests for coming down today. Congressman Eli Crane, Congresswoman Victoria Sparks, and Congressman George Santos. In addition to them, the former chief of staff at Capitol Hill, Jim Paff. They definitely helped make this Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast great again. Guys, don't worry. We'll be back on Tuesday. Even though the government's shutting down, we'll still be here. Not getting paid here either. Congressman Ralph Norman will be here. Jeremy Ryan Slate will be making his steak for breakfast debut as well, and we'll be sitting down with one of our favorite ambassadors, Miss Carla Sands. So, on behalf of the Pod team, I'm Roan Noah. Later. Thanks for listening. Have a fantastic weekend. Take care. The
5: kidnappers will not harm your daughter. Not while I'm nipping at their heels.
3: Do you think that these people imagine that they are going to get what they want?
2: I wonder if it's ever occurred to Mr. Crumb
3: that there may be
12: things going on of which he is totally, perhaps blissfully, unaware.